Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hi, everybody. This is Lewis Ewing, Saturday night, a few minutes after 5. Um, tonight's subject uh, is going to be mainly traffic stuff. And what I'm about to reveal to you folks is going to rock the state of Washington's world financially, and potentially it could rock all, every other state financially. This is something that um, I don't believe anybody has ever put together. Okay, And, and the basic in layman's terms that I could put it is every single suspension of a driver's license or suspension of a privilege based upon your failure to pay a civil infraction is 100% illegal. It's unconstitutional. In legal terms, it's called a bill of attainder, a bill of pains and penalties. Okay, so... This is going to be our lesson tonight is bills of attainder. There are some case sites right there I just posted on the board. I'm going to read you the site. Bills of attainder, as they are technically called, are such special acts of the legislature as inflict capital punishment upon persons supposedly guilty of high offenses. Okay, we're not going to sentence anybody to death for a traffic violation. But let me go on with the quote. Such as treason and felony without any conviction in the ordinary course of judicial proceedings. If an act inflicts a mild degree of punishment than death, it is called a bill of pains and penalties. But both are included in the prohibition in the federal constitution. That's Lozier versus Sherman. I posted the site on the board, folks. 157 Kansas Reporter, page 153, or 138 Pacific Reporter, second, page 272 at 273, and also State versus Graves. Uh, both, folks, both of these cases are cited in the dictionary definition, Black's Fourth Dictionary, under bills of attainder. State versus Grave is also cited. 352 uh, MO, I'm assuming that's Missouri, page 1102, or 183 Southwest 2nd, page 46 at 54. Okay? The issue of what is a bill of attain- attainder and penal penalties was well settled in the case of Cummings versus Missouri. Folks, that's a very famous case. Cummings versus Missouri. The theory upon which our political institutions rest is that all men have certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that in the pursuit of happiness, all avocations, all honors, all positions are alike open to everyone. And that in the protection of these rights, all men are equal before the law. Any deprivation or suspension of any of these rights for past conduct is punishment and it can no otherwise defined. That's Cummins versus Missouri. Um, Let's see, where do I have the site for that? Uh, I know it's down below. When I get to the site, um, I'll get. I'll post the site on the board. A bill of attainder is a legislative act which inflicts punishment without judicial trial. If the punishment be less than death, the act is termed a bill of pain and penalties within the meaning of the Constitution. Bills of attainder include bills of pains and penalties. 
In these cases, the legislative body, in addition to its legitimate functions, exercises the powers and office of judge. It assumes in the language of the textbooks judicial magistracy. It pronounces upon the guilt of the party without any of the forms of trial. It determines the sufficiency of the proofs produced, whether conformable to the rules of evidence or otherwise. And it fixes the degree of punishment in accordance with its own notions of the enormity of the offense. That's coming at uh, page 323. The High Court went on to say, quote, Bills of this sort have been most usually passed in periods in which all nations are the most liable, as well the free as the enslaved, to forget their duties and to trample upon the rights and liberties of others. The Supreme Court reiterated the validity of the Cummings case in the United States versus Lovett. In the Lovett case, they also referred to ex parte Garland. Um, let me post uh, this couple of these sites first, for folks. Um, Ex parte Garland, four wall, that's uh, page 33. Um, I'm going to have to make a trip back to the library. It's been years since I've actually wrote this brief. Um, and for some reason, I didn't have the year on this site. And I don't know how I missed that um, in my beginning stages of legal writing. Uh, I tended to do that. Um, the quote from Lovett um, says, in which they stated that these types of bills stand for the proposition that legislative acts, no matter what their form, that apply either to named individuals or to easily ascertainable members of a group in such a way as to inflict punishment on them without a judicial trial are bills of attainder prohibited by the Constitution. Folks, what I'm going to be getting into is that every single traffic ticket is a bill of attainder. It is a bill of pain and penalties. It oppresses the poor people. It has allowed the state to create a debtor's prison simply for not paying your masters, the lying thieves and black Jesuit robes of treason. The judges should all be hanged for this. There's people languishing in the county jails in Washington state, all states, but, you know, Washington has 39 counties, and 50% or daily or better of the daily population of all the jails are directly related to people that are driving while suspended because they fail to pay their traffic ticket. People are losing their jobs. They're losing their houses. They're losing their apartments. Their wives and girlfriends are leaving them because they're in jail again for driving while suspended. When, folks, you never even had to have a driver's license in the first place. United States versus Lovett, there's the site, 328 U.S. Reporter, page 303 uh, at 315. And I apologize, folks, uh, this is an older brief that I, geez, it's been probably 10 years since I've even looked at this brief. I'm going to completely rework it and combine it with the information that I just found out about how they're suspending traffic tickets. But this is so important, I thought I'd bring this out today. The Constitution outlaws this entire category of punitive measures. The amount of punishment is immaterial to the classification of a challenge statute, but punishment is a prerequisite. Punishment presupposes an offense, not necessarily an act previously declared criminal, but for an act which retribution is exacted. Okay, um, I'm going to post some more sites on the board. And, um, Love it is also uh, part of this quote. Um, so I put supra. Whenever you've already cited something, you just put supra. It means you've already stated it in the document that you have in writing in front of you. But I also put C. Garner versus Los Angeles Board. 341 U.S. Reporter, page 716, and Christie versus Lewis, 61 Northwest 2nd, page 338. Okay. 
These types of acts clearly fall within the scope of constitutional prohibition. United States Constitution, Article 1, Section 9, Clause 3, and Article 1, Section 10 state, quote, No bill of attainder or ex post facto law shall ever be passed. Um, this next quote is from a case called Hoke versus Henderson. This is a case from North Carolina. No state shall pass any bill of attainder predetermining guilt and imposing of a sanction does not negate the invalid status of the enactment creating the rule. As applied to free and natural persons, is it plainly a bill of attainder, bill of pains and penalties, and violates the law of the land. The full significance of the clause, quote, law of the land, is said to be that statutes or rules which would deprive a citizen of the rights of person or property without a regular trial, according to the course of the common course and usage of the common law, would not be the law of the land. And folks, um, I don't have the site in front of me right now, but basically when you get a civil traffic uh, um, infraction and you do not pay the ticket, by the mere lapse of time, what they do is they suspend your driver's license. They suspend your so-called privilege to drive. And the next thing you know, you're driving, you don't use your turn signal, or you didn't make a complete stop, you made a California stop, all of a sudden you see the lights come on, you hear the siren, you're being pulled over. You weren't speeding, no big deal. Sunny day, the weather's good, there's not much traffic. You didn't nearly hit somebody or run somebody over, there's nothing. There's no reason in the goddamn world why that cop's pulling you over, except to stick you up by gunpoint and try to raise revenue so that the judges and prosecutors can get a big fat paycheck for sitting on their ass and doing nothing all day long. These people, the judges and the prosecutors, contribute nothing to society. These people are the leeches, the leeches that suck us dry and steal all our money. These people are oppressing the working people. They're oppressing the poor people. And I'm completely against these scum that have illegally committed forgery. They committed second-degree perjury. They did not change the law when they amended the RCW. The RCW is not the law. The RCW is merely the prima facie compilation. So these people have been altering and committing forgery by changing the, the, the what, what appears to be the meanings or the definitions of the, of the requirements for a driver's license, the requirements for registration, to make it appear as though you're required to have a driver's license. They've recriminalized the traffic code, okay? And so what, this is why we're looking at bills of attainder. Here's a, another quote, Dartmouth College case, 4 Wheat, 518. I'll post that site in a second, but I'm going to read the quote first. Let me get the copy done here. My mouse is going slow tonight. By law of the land is more clearly intended the general law, a law which hears before it condemns which proceeds upon inquiry and renders judgment only after trial. The meaning is that every citizen shall hold his life, liberty, property, and immunities under the protection of the general rules which govern our society. Everything which may pass under the form of an enactment is not, therefore, to be considered the law of the land. This is the Dartmouth College case, 4 Wheat, page 518. Um, I'm going to have to do the show again sometime later with um, make sure that we have all the proper years and the dates and stuff for all the cases. This is an older brief that I wrote more than 10 years ago. Um, here's a case from Washington. The prohibition against Bill of Attainder is derived from U.S. Constitution Article 1, Section 10, and Constitution Article 1, Section 23. 
A bill of attainder is a legislative act that applies to named individuals or to easily ascertain members of a group in such a way that it inflicts punishment on them without trial. Citing State v. Thorne, 129 Washington 2nd, page 736 at 759, or 921 Pacific 2nd, page 514, 1996, citing another case called Shuffle, 82 Washington 2nd, 881. But the case I'm reading the quotes from is a case called City of Richland v. Mitchell, 89 Washington Appellate, page 764, 950 Pacific 2nd, page 10, January 22, 1998. Let me um, get that on the board so you guys can grab this case and go read that case. You can go to the library, folks. You can go after the show. You can go to the chat grabber and you can grab uh, the chat grabber. Um, and you can grab all these case sites and go to the law, law library. So, for a clear understanding of what a bill of attainder is, we will refer to volume. God, I feel stupid. Uh, I don't know why I've. I need to get a chart and start practicing memorizing Roman numerals. Folks, uh, volume V, three I's, V-I-I-I, of the federal statutes annotated at page 726. Oh, here we go. I got the proper site for Cummings versus Missouri now. I knew I had it somewhere in the brief, but usually, folks, uh, uh, the way I write briefs now, I always put the complete site generally at the very beginning of the brief, and then I can do super later, and I made that mistake on this brief to... Um, not put it in the beginning sites. But Cummings versus Missouri is a very famous case, so you, fo you folks need to at least go read that case. Okay. A bill of attainder is a legislative act which inflicts punishment without a judicial trial. If the punishment be less than death, the act is termed a bill of pain and penalties within the meaning of the Constitution. Bills of attainder include bills of pains and penalties. In these, the legislative body, in addition to its legitimate functions, exercise the powers and office of a judge. It assumes in the language of the textbooks judicial magistracy. It pronounces upon the guilt of the party without any of the forms or safeguards of trial. It determines the sufficiency of the proofs produced, whether conformable to the rules of evidence or otherwise, and it fixes the degree of punishment in accordance with its own notions of the enormity of defense. Cummings versus Missouri. Folks, I'm going to figure out how to write uh, a brief to use this for all the family courts. The entire dependency scheme and termination of parental rights scheme is a bill of attainder, okay? Because what these criminals have done in the CPS courts is they figured out a way to steal children using uh, abusing court process. In 99% of the cases, they have no proof that the parents were bad, that abused or neglected their children, or that they beat their children. If they were actually required by law to file uh, um, charges of criminal neglect or criminal abuse, okay, they would lose 99% of their cases because they have no evidence that the parents ever harmed, abused, neglected, or abandoned their children. Okay, so what they're doing is they're making an end run around the Constitution. They have no probable cause. But the case law that I've found, discovered recently, says that a social worker has to have the same, meet the same probable cause requirements under the Fourth Amendment as a police officer applying for a search warrant. Well, a cop has to go before a judge in open court and swear under the penalties of perjury to apply for a certain warrant. They have to have personal knowledge. But no, in the civil courts, they use the preponderance of the brainless bimbo and stupid lying bitch standard. 
at the CPS social workers. They're a bunch of brainless bimbos and stupid lying bitches. Excuse my language for those who don't like cussing and swearing, but I'm just telling the truth. And you know what? It's my First Amendment fucking right. So people who don't like me cussing and swearing, get the fuck off of here, okay? Because I cuss and swear, okay? Uh, I'm pissed off at this court system. You folks don't know what I've been through. You don't know what Lloyd Smith has been through. You don't know what Kurt Riggins has been through. And you don't know what David Maryland has been through. We are righteous men. We're just men. We're honest men. We're law-abiding citizens. And we're sick and tired of... We're not anti-government folks, okay? We're not those foaming-at-the-mouth anti-government sovereign citizens like uh, Charles Bruce Stewart and other wackos in the common law court system, okay? We are... You know, concerned citizens. You could say we come from a patriot background, but we're not your run-of-the-mill patriot. Okay, cops call people who drive without a driver's license a constitutionalist, a patriot. The dumb cops will say, oh, you're one of them sovereign citizens. Okay, well, folks, I'll tell you what my, before I go on to the bill of attainder thing, I'll tell you what my definition of a sovereign citizen is. My definition of a sovereign citizen is a beginner to the Patriot Movement. Somebody who's attended their first right-way law class meeting. I don't know if right-way still exists anymore, um, but we we used to call right-way law wrong-way law when it first came out, which it's proven itself to be and pretty much gone out of business. Okay? We are legal researchers. We're legal writers. Okay? We make our living undercutting attorneys. Okay? Um, I've taken several paralegal courses. I've been making my living as a legal writer for, geez, almost 18 years now, okay? Um, I'm not an attorney, not a member of the bar, nor would I ever stoop so low to join such a criminally corrupt organization as the Washington State Bar Association. But for those people who are sick and tired of paying a lot of money to attorneys and getting nowhere and losing, how many of you out there have ever been represented by a public defender or hired your own attorney who told you they got you a good deal, a plea bargain. Folks, does pleading guilty sound like a bargain? Well, obviously it doesn't. So this is what this is show about, is is to try to teach people how to be pro se litigants, to encourage people that, yes, if you study law a little bit, you know, a lot of you people out there are probably good speakers, okay, if you just knew what to say. But you don't know how to do the legal research. You don't know how to do the legal writing. You wish there was somebody out there that could research and do the writing for you because basically with my legal briefs, with a little script that could drop for you, some basic instructions, you could go into court and handle yourself as good as any attorney, maybe even better than most, okay, because the attorneys are not going to do the kind of work that I'm going to do. They're not going to do the research or writing briefs that I do. So back on to the Cummings case, okay, uh, it goes on to say generally – Against individual bills of a changer are directed, but they may be directed against the whole class. Absolute or conditional punishment may be inflicted by bills of a changer at page 324. And here's what Black's Law Dictionary, second edition, says. Bill of a changer, a legislative act directed against a designated person, pronouncing him guilty of an alleged crime, usually treason, without trial or conviction, according to the recognized rules of procedure, and passing sentence of death and called are such special acts of the legislature as inflict capital punishments upon persons supposed to be guilty of high offenses, such as treason and felony, without any conviction in the ordinary course of judicial proceedings. 
If an act inflicts a milder degree of punishment than death, it is called a bill of pain and penalties. Folks, this is what every single traffic ticket is. It is a bill of pain and penalties. It violates the ex post facto clauses of the state and federal constitutions. So bill of pain and penalties, both are included in the prohibition in the federal constitution. The term bill of attainder is general and embraces both bill of attainder and bills of pain and penalties. So folks, yes, I'm correct when I say every single traffic ticket is a bill of attainder and a bill of pain and penalties. Um, here's another U.S. Supreme Court decision from 1860, Draymond versus Stifle. And I'll post the site on the board. You know, another misconception, folks, I want to talk about these so-called sovereign citizens. Okay? They say the statutes don't apply to me. Okay, well, you're full of shit. Okay? Um, I'm sorry to inform you. Oh, that's illegal. Well, folks... Don't tell me what the cops can do and what the cops can't do, okay? I've been arrested too many times and gone to jail too many times to know that the sovereign citizens are full of shit. They don't know what the fuck they're talking about, okay? The fact is, when you go to anybody's house, you have to follow their rules, okay? Every man is the king in his own house. If I tell you to take off your shoes, you're going to take off your shoes. Otherwise, you ain't coming in my house. When you go to Thailand... And they give you a brochure that says if you get caught trying to smuggle marijuana out of Thailand, don't think, well, they're never going to notice one joint. Okay? The first time I went to Thailand, it was on the front page of the Bangkok newspaper. A white woman, an American sovereign citizen. Okay, now she didn't claim to be sovereign, but I'm making fun of all these sovereign citizens because they're a bunch of morons that don't know shit about law. Okay? She was sentenced to die by beheading for trying to smuggle a single marijuana joint out of Thailand. In Thailand, they don't pull no punches. In fact, they show everything on the news. I watched the lady get her head chopped off the next day on TV. <laughs> okay? <laughs> so, I'm an American citizen. Don't mean shit outside of America. Okay? And it really doesn't mean shit here. You have to follow the laws of the land and the rules. And, no, no, that's illegal. The government's illegal. They can't do that. Shut the fuck up because you know what? They did it. Okay? We are under martial law. Well, that's illegal. Well, yeah. But so what? The point is they fucking did it. You don't believe it, go read a case called Luther versus Borden and Texas versus White and go look up RCW 38, Militia and Military Affairs. We are under martial law. So I'm going to be jumping back and forth, folks, a little bit with my Bill of Attainder argument tonight, with a little bit of history to wake up the sovereign citizens. Okay? It seems like the sovereign citizens have diplomatic immunity, okay, confused with sovereignty. Okay? Unless you're the Queen of England, the Shah of Iran, the Prince of Arabia, or Bill Gates... You're just one of the fucking peons, okay? And if you run a red light, the cop's going to pull you over. And the only person that's going to say that I'm sovereign and you can't give me a ticket is the Queen of England, the Prince of Arabia, the Shah of Iran, okay? Uh, not even a Washington State uh, city mayor or a Washington State legislature is likely going to get off a traffic ticket. The officer's going to say, I'm sorry, Pamela Roach or, or you know, whatever state representative you are, but you're speeding, so I have to give you a ticket. I'm just doing my job. Okay, the cops are 80 IQ androids. Okay, they're just doing their fucking job because they're stupid. They're following orders. That's what cops do. Most of them are, are jarheads that just got out of the military, so they're trained to follow orders. 
Okay, so that's what you're dealing with. An ADIQ monkey with a badge and a gun. Okay, this is the reality. Okay, so I tell people, you know what? You know, the only way you're going to beat the court system is to study their statute, their court rules, and their case law and use it against them. Lloyd Smith says, show them the mirror. I say, grab the puppy by the scruff of his neck and rub his nose in his own doo-doo. I'm going to show you guys how the statute that you've charged me with does not apply to me or that you've misapplied it as applied to me. So let me go on with the, the bill of attainder. In the United States, the doctor to bill of attainder is now scarcely known. Although during and shortly after the revolution, acts of bill of attainder were passed by several of the states. The passage of such bills is expressly forbidden by the Constitution. Attainder differs from conviction in that it is after judgment, whereas conviction is upon the verdict of guilty but before judgment pronounced. The consequences of attainder are forfeiture of property. Folks, you ever had your car towed? Did the court system get a judgment against you and then they put a lien against your house? Did they put a lien against your property? Okay. Um, have you gone through a forfeiture? Okay. Uh, the sites I just read, um, Sands versus Holbert, 93 West Virginia, 574, or 117 Southeast, 896, 8899, and Ford versus Ellison, 287 uh, Missouri, 683, or 230 Southwest Reporter, page 637. Okay. Forfeiture, the sites I'm reading you now. Forfeiture, to incur a penalty to become liable to the payment of a sum of money as the consequence of a certain act. Doesn't that sound like a traffic ticket? They find you for running the red light uh, in Washington. Uh, the court rule says $250 for no, vol, uh, uh, no valid operator license on person, driving without a license, civil infraction, 4620.015, maximum penalty, $250. No jail time authorized. Uh, same thing, no insurance. Max penalty, $250. No jail time authorized. But the cops, guess what they're doing, folks? They're asking for twice the legal limit. They're asking for 550 bucks for no insurance. And I'll go into that a little bit later, uh, showing you that this is a bill of attainder also. It's all a scam. We're all being scammed, folks. Let me read you the next site, uh, Ridgeway versus the city of Akron, Ohio. Okay. Something to which the right is lost by the commission of a crime or fault or the losing of something by way of penalty. Okay? The words, bills of pains and penalties. This is where we're, where we're going tonight, folks, is bill of attainder. All traffic tickets are bills of attainder. Note 8, the incurring a liability to pay a definite sum of money as the consequence of violating the provisions of some statute. Note 9, a sum of money forfeited, something imposed as a punishment for an offense. Fine, criminal law, a pecuniary punishment imposed by law by a tribunal upon a person convicted of a misdemeanor. Black's 4th edition, 759. Okay, the Constitution of the United States, Article 1, Section 9, Clause 3 says, no bill of attainder shall be passed. Washington State Constitution, Article 1, Section 23 says, 23, bills of attainder, ex post facto law, etc., no bill of attainder, ex post facto law, or law impairing the obligation of a contract shall ever be passed. California Constitution, Article 16, no bill of attainder shall ever be passed. No bill of attainder, ex post facto law, or any law shall be passed. Minnesota Constitution from 1857, Article 1, Section 11, no person can in any case be subjected to law martial or to any pains or penalties by virtue of that law. 
folks, we are under martial law. You don't believe it in Washington? Go look up RCW 38. It's entitled Militia and Military Affairs. That's where the right to be represented comes from. No such thing as a right to be represented in the Sixth Amendment, and there's no such thing as a right to be represented in Article 1, Section 22 of the Washington State Constitution. Okay? The next definition. A bill of attainder is a legislative act inflicting punishment without judicial trial. Folks, uh, look up a case called Apprendi versus New Jersey. It goes hand in hand, okay, with the bill of attainder. Okay, let's say the penalty is $250 for driving without a license, $250 uh, for no insurance. By the mere lapse of time, by simply not paying your masters in the black robes of treason, I call them the black Jesuit robes of treason because they're all Jesuit priests, the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, folks, you guys got you to to learn about the judges of black robes. Go study the Ku Klux Klan and go study the Monroe Doctrine and then go study about Jesuit priests and put those three things together and you're going to find out who those people are wearing black dresses. And, well, Kurt differs with me on that. Kurt seems to think that all the judges that are wearing black dresses are male cross-dressers. <laughs> That's what Kurt says anyway. Uh, this site I read you, Department of Social Welfare of State versus Gardiner. Uh, let me post that on the board. Male cross-dressers. Kirk cracks me up when he comes up with stuff like that. Uh, Department of Social Welfare of State versus Gardiner, 210 Pacific 2nd, page 950, 855, 94 California, California Appellate, 2nd edition, page 431 from 1949. Those who are peculiarly vulnerable to non-judicial determinations of guilt. State versus Katzenbach, um, 66 uh, Supreme Court Reporter, page 803, or 383 U.S. Supreme Court, page 301, uh, um, 1966. Don't have the month, though, for some reason. So, U.S. Brown, folks, is another case, okay? Um, California, and I got some of this information from a a couple guys, Charlie Sprinkle and I can't remember. There was another guy in Florida that I picked some of these notes out of um, in Florida. Oh, James B. Wood. James B. Wood has some uh, good information on this. Then there's another guy in California. I don't remember his name now, an older patriot. He died about... Oh, probably 15 years ago. Um, He wrote, uh, Department of California Motor Vehicles has no judicial powers delegated to it by statute. The 1959 California Vehicle Code may not impose fines or incarcerate individuals within its jurisdiction, but persons, class of persons, are subject of non-judicial determination of guilt by a magistrate of a municipal tribunal sitting as an arm for enforcement of the Vehicle Code, which are summary procedure and summary judgment. Now, in the United States versus Brown... This is a California case originally, U.S. versus Brown. Um, let me read the site first, and I'll post it on the board. Bill of Attainder Clause not only was intended as one implementation of general principle of fractionalized power, but also reflected framers' belief that the legislative branch is not well-suited as politically independent judges and juries to task of ruling 
upon blameworthiness of and levying appropriate punishment upon specific persons. Okay, so let me put that side on the board. U.S. versus Brown. That's uh, 85 um, Supreme Court Reporter, page 1707 and 14, limited edition, second page 484. Uh, U.S. versus Brown. And I don't have the U.S. Supreme Court site for some reason. So I'm going to have to be making a trip to the library to um, fix that up. A special act of the legislature which inflicts punishment less than death upon persons supposed to be guilty without any conviction in the ordinary course of judicial proceedings. Okay. Uh, basically, every single civil infraction is a bill of pain and penalties. The fact that you get a trial doesn't mean anything. They've already made up their mind. The cop gives you the ticket. The cop takes the stand. He says you did it. The cop says, I find you guilty. Go pay the fine. They've already decided. Besides that, folks, the judge is not judicial. He's quasi-executive and quasi-judicial. He's an employee of a corporation. He's not judicial. They adopt, They abolished all the judicial districts within the United States in 1856 by the act of the 34th Congress. It was implemented in order to all the states in 1860. Okay, so we have no judicial branch of government. The legislature has permitted the Department of Licensing to delegate to magistrates of corporate municipal tribunals called courts, municipal courts or district courts, the authorities to sit as an administrative hearing official for it, and by summary procedures initiated by civil non-judicial notices to appear, make a summary judgment, and to impose fines and assessments and impose county jail sentences. Summary procedures are non-judicial in nature and operate without the usual protection guaranteed by the Fourth and Fifth Amendments of the Federal Constitution and are heard by a quasi-criminal procedure. Procedure and summary proceedings is governed by the provisions of the statute. The, civil, the proceedings are not intended to be carried on in the formal manner in which ordinary actions are prosecuted, but such a procedure by a party pursuing that remedy must bring the case, his case strictly within the requirements of the statute. Folks, they're, what they're doing is they're abusing the, the, the court process and they're using civil process, the lowest form of evidence. It's called the, in, in uh, McCormick's on evidence, says that the preponderance of evidence standard is the lowest form of evidence as there is. It's based upon the weight of a feather. But in CPS proceedings, dependency and termination proceedings, I call it the preponderance of the brainless bimbo and stupid lying bitch standard. Okay, because we got these CPS social workers, idiots with bachelor's degree who couldn't get a job in the real world anywhere, all of a sudden get a high-paying job to become a CPS social worker, a brainless bimbo. They get paid to commit perjury on a daily basis, and they do so, okay? Particularly Paige Cummings, Kitsap County CPS social worker. In my opinion, an exercise of my First Amendment right, I'm going to tell you the truth. The lady is a brainless bimbo and a stupid lying bitch, okay? In summary proceedings, although defendant must be notified or summoned to appear, the processor notice need not satisfy the requirements of formal summonses, and so it has been stated that a summary proceeding ordinarily implies one begin without summons or subpoena. Seymour versus Hughes. A summary proceeding is not an action through analogous to its purpose and scope. It is a special proceeding. Properly speaking, therefore, there can be no judgment in summary proceedings. The final order entered is frequently referred to judgment and is, in effect, a judgment. This is a New York case, Seymour versus Hughes, 105, New York uh, Reporter, page 249, 250. And for some reason, I don't have the year on this one either. This this is something I did a long time ago. Uh, 
it was one of those briefs I was just uh, for some reason lady, uh, lazy and uh, didn't get the uh, complete year citations on the older briefs. I was just copying cases at the library. Thus, summary procedure is not a judicial trial, and any judgment in effect is not a judicial judgment. In effect, is not a judicial judgment, and any penal penalty is punished punishment by penal penalties. Legislatures may act to curb behavior which they regard as harmful to the public welfare, whether such is found to be engaged in by many persons or by one. And so long as the incidence of legislation is such that persons who are engaged who engaged in regulated conduct, be they many or few, can escape regulation merely by altering course of present activities. There may be no complaint of attainder. Communist Party versus Control Board, 367 U.S. Reporter, page 1, rehearing denied, um, 368 U.S. 871. I'll post this site on the board also. Um, you folks need to make a trip to the library and pull all these cases and read them if you really want to understand what a bill of attainder really is. Principle on which this clause is based, the notion that persons have a right to fair warning of that conduct, which will give rise to criminal penalties, is fundamental to our concept of constitutional liberty, and as such, that right is protected against judicial action by due process of Amendment 5. Again, U.S. Brown, rehearing denied. Um, I'll post the sites on the board. Okay. Um, Scholar Google is a great source. Uh, yeah, go ahead and if you can post the links for that while I'm talking, that'd be great. Um, that would be good for everybody to have the, the links for the Scholar Google Com. Um, the next case, again, City of Richland, Supra. Due process requires fair notice of prescribed criminal conduct and standards to prevent arbitrary enforcement, citing State versus Becker. Um, I'll grab that site. 132 Washington 2nd, page 54 or 934, 935 Pacific 2nd, page 1321, 1997, and State versus Halstein, 122 Washington 2nd, page 1, or 857 Pacific 2nd, page 270, 1993. Um, these two cases are cited by City of Richland, which I already um, posted on the board above, uh, but I'll go ahead and post these couple sites here just so that you can have them. Um, with these cases, you can write your own brief, okay? Uh, the traffic tickets are bills of attainder. In Washington, Oregon, California, basically all the states, folks, everybody's told by the cops, magistrates, the judges, and prosecutors, that it is a, quote, privilege to use the common highways of the state for personal business, pleasure, transportation, and private goods, family benefit, merely because they use a motor-driven vehicle as a mode of conveyance without the registration of that conveyance and a license fee tax paid and the granting of a driver's license by the Department of Licensing. Okay. <laughs> Thus, fair warning is denied the individual that, in fact, the state and its alleged law enforcement officer will allow only those who have registered their cars commercially. Okay, folks, the tabs. This is the trick. This is how they get the license scheme in. They've tricked everybody into licensing their car as a business machine. Okay? They've tricked everybody into licensing their car as a passenger class vehicle. This is why, look at your, go, folks, go grab everybody listening to the show. Go tell everybody, all your friends, go grab your registration out of your car and look at it. It says PAS class, passenger class. And also, did you notice that you paid an excise tax? Everybody needs to ask the Department of Licensing, hey, this is bullshit. Okay? Why am I paying an excise tax? Okay? I'm not involved in any business, and, and I want to be able to 
um, you know, folks, the way it used to be done, I read the case law all the way back for Washington State and other states, okay? The only purpose for requiring the registration of the license plate legally under the police powers because they consider a car to be a valuable commodity and item was to protect the owner of the car from having their car stolen. Okay. Originally, the Secretary of State was involved with the registration of vehicles. Okay. You only had to give your name, the make and model of the car, your home address, and pay a silver dollar. Oh, and the, the, the make, the model, and the color of the car, and the year. And you paid a silver dollar. Okay. And they registered your car. But you did not have to have a license to drive it, folks. In Washington State, they first licensed the car in 1905. They did not actually license the drivers until 1915. Basically, they came up with the way, well, let's just charge everybody to register their cars, and let's just make everybody get the commercial license. Okay, that's the trick, folks. They've tricked you into licensing your car as a passenger class carrying vehicle. You paid an excise tax. Look it up in the law dictionary, folks. An excise tax is a tax on a business. This is bullshit. Tim Iman made the wrong argument. We should not be paying $30 for tabs. We should be paying zero. We should not be required to put tabs on our car. We should be able to just get a license plate for our car to identify your name, your make, model, your color of your car, okay, and pay, you know, a dollar fee, no more than five bucks at tops. The state doesn't need all that money. They're a bunch of gluttons, pigs slopping at the trough, charging an exorbitant amount of money that is not commensurate with the, even the quality of the license plate that you get for paying the fee, okay? Those license plates are made of tin. They cost them pennies on the dollar, um, there's no reason for them to charge that much money because we're giving a bunch of fat, lazy judges a big paycheck to sit on their ass and oppress the people and put poor people in jail. That's all they're doing is they're creating a debtor's prison. Okay? So fair warning is denied to individual that, in fact, the state and its alleged law enforcement officer, I'm going over what I read already, will allow only those who have registered their cars commercially to use the highways, the evidence being the tab, which is the receipt for paying the motor vehicle excise tax in which case an excise tax being a tax on a business, and therefore only the individual engaged in commercial enterprise slash activity slash business dedicated and conducted for the benefit of the public is within the jurisdiction of the Department of Licensing and under the supervision of RCW Title 46, the Motor Vehicle Code. But by the way, folks, for those of you who don't know this, Title 46 was originally joined together with Title 47, transportation. The very uh, uh, last statute, or the and the Larry beginning statute for Title 46 and Title 47 says that Title 47 is part of Title 46, okay? And the last part of 47 also says that Title 46 is tit- part of Title 47. They should be construed together in paramateria. That means they have to blend the statutes together and become one code, okay? But the fact is the Department of Licensing sells only commercial driver's licenses, okay? So they look that up. Go look up RCW 4625080. It is the one and only license classification statute in the entire motor vehicle code. In Washington, Oregon, California, and every other state, the individual cannot escape by altering his course of conduct to avoid the prosecution under Title 46, the motor vehicle code, by Department of Licensing, even when he uses the highways for personal travel pursuant to RCW 4625050, subsection 1C, and WAC through 810. Business transportation, folks. That, that, those, the statute in uh, the WAC I just read you is um, the recreational vehicle uh, statute. Okay, 
Um, that's the recreational vehicle, which if you declare that you're using your car solely for recreational camping and travel use, it says right in the statute that you're not required to have the driver's license to drive your car. But the judges are pretending like they don't understand that. They hear no evil, see no evil, they speak no evil. The judge turns into the three monkeys by himself. Okay? Now, judicial trials? Well, every traffic ticket is a bill of attainder. Legislative act, no matter what their forms that apply, in such a way to inflict punishment without a judicial trial are, quote, bills of attainder, bills of pains and penalties. The United States versus Lovett again, folks. Bill of attainder, definition. A legislative act that singles out an individual or group for punishment without trial. Guess what, folks? Washington eliminated judicial trials in 1980. In 1980, the Supreme Court of Washington adopted the Rules of Appeal for Decision of Courts of Limited Jurisdiction. They call it the RALJ. The RALJ abolished appeals by trial de novo. And the main case that tells you about that is a case called Seattle versus Hessler. I'm going to post that on the board because this is part of my bill of attainder argument. We have no judicial trial, okay, uh, because we no longer have an appeal as a matter of right. We no longer have a trial by novo. We have an RALJ appeal, okay? Uh, so Seattle versus Hessler will tell you about RALJ appeals, okay? In place of a trial de novo in Superior Court, the RALJ instituted review on the record, RALJ 9.1. A RALJ appeal is procedurally almost indistinguishable from an appeal to the Court of Appeals or the Supreme Court. The case is considered on briefs, RALJ 7.1, with the aid of a written transcript of the proceeding below, RALJ 6.3a, and with an oral argument which the parties are limited to an argument of 10 minutes per side, RALJ 8.3. What about our day in court? Okay, 10 minutes? What about my day in court? Briefing should be complete in under 89 days, RLJ 7.2. Therefore, it follows, since the appeals are no longer available to all defendants as a matter of right, and trial de novo being abolished and replaced with an RLJ appeal, all defendants are deprived of a judicial trial. And therefore, it follows that all civil infraction tickets and all criminal traffic tickets in Washington are, in fact, in law, a bill of attainder. The Constitution of the United States, Article 1, Section 9, Paragraph 3, provides, quote, no bill of attainder or expo facto law will be passed. It is undisputed fact of law that this alleged municipal court, SIC, is in fact in law created by legislative like and the same as the City of Ordings Municipal Court and also operates under a statute hereinafter called the RCWs and therefore is an administrative agency and not a judicial power court. Constitutionally created court. Folks, I want you to look this up for Washington. RCW 3.50.010 or RCW 3520.010. That's a statute that creates the municipal court of the city of Orting. Okay? Let me read you the case quote from Orting versus Rushner. Um, the city of Orting, that's uh, where my my youngest sister lives. Um, Lena. I'm one of the three else folks. I've got two sisters, Lily Ewing and Lena Ewing. If you Google my sister's name... Okay. Uh, you know, funny, a lot of guys have challenged me to a fight in a bar after seeing my kickboxing pictures or whatnot or whatever. I said, look, I'll put a thousand bucks. You can't kick my sister's ass, okay? Now, if you can kick my sister's ass, okay, I'll take your fight. Okay, so Google my sister's name, Lily Ewing, folks. Okay, she's got bigger muscles than you. <laughs> the town of Orting had elected to create a municipal court 
under the authority of RCW 3.50.010. This statute provides that procedure in the municipal court is subject to the rulemaking authority of the Supreme Court, RCW 3.50.450. Thus, the controlling rules of procedure are found in the traffic rules for courts of limited jurisdiction promulgated by this court, effective July 1, 1963. See JTR T2 RCW Volume 0. Orting versus Rushner, 66 Washington 2nd, August 1965. Okay, folks, all these courts are merely an administrative agency. They're a creature of statute created by the legislature. I'll give you an example. Riggins versus Housing Authority. Um, I don't believe this is Kurt Riggins. I believe this is, okay, Kurt Riggins, his, his name is Riggins. There's no S on the end. So this is another Riggins instead of Riggins. Um, let me post this out on the board, then I'll read you guys the citation. Um, we're going to emphasize my point that these courts are really just administrative agencies, creatures of statute created by the legislature. RCW 42.17.020, subsection 1, enacted sometime after WAPA, W-A-P-A, where the legislature specifically defined agency to include all state agencies and all local agencies, in more particular, define state agency in the statute to include every state office, public official, department, division, bureau, board, commission, or other state agency. The definition of local agency is equally particular and complete. Local agency includes every county, city, city and county, school district, municipal corporation, district, political subdivision, or any board, commission, or agency thereof, or or other local public agency, RCW 42.17.020, subsection 1. The definition of state agency in RCW 42.17.020, subsection 1, parallels the definition of agency in RCW 34.04.010, subsection 1, as to state boards, commissions, departments, and officers, officials. That's Riggins versus Housing Authority, 87, Washington 2nd, page 97 at 100, 549 Pacific 2nd, page 40, May 6, 1976. Guess what, folks? You want proof that the courts are agency? The so-called judges tell you they're judicial? No, they're not. They're a male cross-dresser wearing a fucking black dress. They're not judges. It's an impossible for a judge in Washington State or any other state to be a judicial officer. It's legally impossible. Look it up, folks. In 1856, Congress... The act of the 34th Congress abolished all judicial districts within the United States. Okay? The Reconstruction Acts. Go read the Reconstruction Acts, folks. This further supports what I'm telling you is a fact. One of the main purposes of the Reconstruction Acts was to change the status of the people from, from electors to registered voters. This is why there has been no laws passed since the Territorial Code of 1881 since for the state of Washington. Well, actually... They flipped us back into a territorial status. Don't believe it, folks. Go look at the RCW. Go look up the murder statute, the robbery statute, the theft statute, assault statute. At the very bottom of the footnotes, you'll see references to the Territorial Code of 1881. That's right, folks. The revised Code of Washington is the Territorial Code of 1881 revised. The RCW is only prima facie evidence of the law, but it is not the law itself. The case law that I found for Washington says the statute law, as passed by the legislature, prevails over the restatement thereof in the code. Well, all the RCW is, is nothing more than a restatement thereof in the code. The actual session law, the actual statute law passed by the last legitimate legislative body in the territory of Washington was passed 
prior to 1878, the Walla Walla Constitution, okay, when the people were still electors, okay, electors that held 50 acres of unencumbered land that had no bank loans on it. Registered voters have no legal standing, they have no legal character, they have no legal capacity to pass law or make law. Okay, so these statutes are basically bullshit, okay? Uh, but I'm the RCW code buster, and all these common law idiots that, that say, oh, Louis Ewing is statutory, we're common law, bullshit. These, these stupid fuckers in the patriot movement like Rod Class and uh, Carl Lance and Dean Clifford, these guys are fucking morons, okay? They don't know shit about law, okay? They wouldn't know the common law if you hit them upset in, up the head with a, with a fucking law book, Okay. These people give you a bunch of bullshit, go into court, and just speak simple words. You speak simple words. Don't talk statutes. Don't talk case law. Don't talk court rules. Just sit down and tell the judge you want to talk man-to-man under the common law. And all of a sudden, the clouds are going to part. God's going to come out and say, Judge, this Dean Clifford, Carl Lentz, they're under the common law. You have to take off that black dress. And Dean Clifford and Carl Lentz and Rod Class will convince you morons out there, and the you know the fucking you know I you know these guys are even a waste of my time to even talk about them. They're so fucking stupid. They think the judge is going to take off their black dress and come into court and sit down. Okay, just tell me what this is really about, man to man. Bullshit. The judge ain't going to do that. That's total bullshit. Okay, and that's that did not happen during the Montana Freeman trials. Okay, the Montana Freeman stood mute at trial. On the advice of another moron named Richard Kegley, Richard, they, they, everybody in the Montana Freeman was taking legal advice from Richard Kegley. They think Richard Kegley was the legal guru and the legal genius. Okay, all of the Montana Freeman took advice from Richard Kegley. Guess what? Richard Kegley is a goofball. Okay, that uh, lives out in Walla Walla. Okay, he walks a mile and a half to two miles to the grocery store because he's too chicken shit to get in his car and drive because there's a cop waiting across the street every day just waiting to nail him with a traffic ticket. But he's too much of a pussy to put his own liberty at stake and prove up that any of his bullshit works. And this is why the Montana Freeman went to jail is because they listened to a moron that knows nothing about law. Okay, so let's go on about what law is, okay? Here's another good case site, folks. Um... I'm not sure if the case is quote is correct uh, on this or not. It's been so long since I read this case. I'm going through some old notes, and I do remember picking some of these case sites out from Richard McDonald. Okay, and I think this is one of them. So I'll tell you, very, folks. Okay, I like Richard McDonald. He's done a, a lot of great original research. Woke up a lot of the patriots. Got a lot of people started in this movement. Um, his was some of the first stuff that I read next to John and Liberty. I actually read Right Way Law stuff. I read Team Law stuff. Aware Law. You know, uh, I looked at pretty much every, the Behold group out of Oregon. Uh, you know, there's a lot of beginning patriots out there that put out a lot of good research, but here's one big mistake that I found with a lot of these beginner patriots. Carl Miller, Carl Miller, he's a fucking moron, uh, and he talks fast on purpose like he's trying to win a fucking Big Mac. Remember, two all beef patties, uh, two lettuce, onions, tomatoes, and, and special sauce, and if you said it really fast, you'd win a free Big Mac. Okay, that doesn't impress me. How fast you can talk does not impress me. I want to hear your legal argument, and I want to know some case numbers that you want. If folks want to know some case numbers I want, send me an email. Um, I'll post my email address here in a little bit. Okay, I can send you a list of testimonials from around the United States, people who handed my traffic, my traffic flyers, my free flyers, 
people are handing the cops my free flyers in a real life traffic stops, and the cops are letting them go. They're not arresting them and taking them into custody for driving without a license or driving while suspended. They are letting them go, and they're continuing to drive on their way. I'll send you a list of testimonials. Okay. Um, that case I uh, put up there, uh, Soriano versus United uh, versus uh, um, uh, the U.S. There, um, I'm going to read you from my notes. It says an administrative agency is a creature of statute. Soriano versus U.S. I'm not sure if that quote's correct because uh, I believe that's one I got from Richard McDonald, and I've discovered over the years, and it got me in trouble once over ten years ago. So I tell everybody, do not use anybody's case quotes until you read the case quote for yourself. There's a lot of patriots out there that misquote case law on purpose just to try to fool the judge. Do not do that because it will cause you to lose a case. Now, Stark versus Wickard. Um, I think I got this from James B. Wood. As a corporation is to its charter, the administrative is to its enabling legislation. This means the basic doctrine of administrative law, as of corporate law, is the doctrine of ultra-virus. The jurisdiction principle is the root principle of administrative power. The statute is the source of agency authority as well as its limits. If an agency act is within its statutory limits, virus, it is valid. If it is outside them, ultra-virus, it is invalid. No statute is needed to establish this. It is inherent in the constitutional positions of agencies and courts. Stark versus Wickard, 420 Federal 2nd, 592. Now, folks, when it comes to Washington quotes, now, when I quote a Washington case, okay, I'm telling you, Every single quote that I read you from Washington is an accurate, correct quote because I looked it up myself. Um, people uh, in Washington will tell you, like, uh, I don't know if you guys know Don Gron um, on the Lake Group. Uh, he runs a, a Patriot meeting in, in North Seattle, Lake City. He calls it Legal Eagles, Legs. Um, he'll tell you he's seen me at the library with book carts with, like, you know, 75 books in the book cart, and he's wondering what the hell I'm doing. I said, well, I'm copying cases. No. He said, why are you copying so many cases? Well, the client hired me to work for a case. i got to do the research. That's what I do. Well, you can just get everything off the Internet. You don't need to spend all that money on copies. Well, folks, this is why other people don't win cases, okay, because they do the cheapskate way, the quickie way of research on the Internet. When I write briefs, I like to cite the exact page number, okay? Let me read you the quote. The source of a state agency's rights, powers, duties, and privileges and immunities is statutory. Liquor Control Board versus Personnel Board, 88 Washington 2nd, page 368 um, at 371. Or 561 Pacific 2nd, page 195, March 10, 1977. Okay? Here's another uh, good case, and, and I'm pulling these administrative cases, folks, to show you um, that all of these, all this shit in the courts is nothing more than an administrative agency. If it is a state agency, it must conform to the Administrative Procedures Act, RCW 34.04, State Board of Evaluation, 72. Let me post that on the board. Um, this is going to support my argument that all traffic tickets are a bill of attainder. Okay. Um, statutory authority to enact the regulation. We agree with the appellants. An agency created by the statute has only those powers expressly granted or necessarily implied from the statute. Ortblad versus state state versus Pierce, an agency cannot legislate. Its rules must be within its statutory framework. Kitsap Mason Dairies Association versus Tax Commissioners. This is these cases I just cited, I didn't read the whole sites, is in this case, Anderson, Leach, and Morse versus 
Liquor Board, 89 Washington 2nd, page 688 at 694, or 575 Pacific 2nd, 221, February 16th, 1978. I'll go ahead and uh, I'll post this side on the board. Um, folks, reading the, these case law uh, may be boring to some people, but unless, you know, if you're serious about studying law, this is the kind of stuff you have to do. You have to research the case law. Okay, Sun Tzu, the art of war, know your enemy better than he knows himself. Here's another case. We note that an administrative agency created by statute has only those powers expressly granted by the statute or necessarily implied therefrom. Baron Direct versus Walla Walla School District, citing Orkblad versus State. This is Butler versus Republic School District. 34, Washington Appellate. Page 421, 661 Pacific 2nd, 1005, April 12th, 1983. Um, I'll put that on the board. Case after case says an administrative agency is a creature of statute. Well, folks, in Washington State, the municipal courts are created by RCW 3520 and 3.50. All the district courts are created by RCW 3.66. The superior courts are created by RCW Title II. The so-called Supreme Court Okay, they're not judicial. The Supreme Court judges in Olympia are not judicial officers. The Supreme Court has no inherent powers. Okay, the Supreme Court of Washington today is not the same Supreme Court that existed at the time of the territory. They are nothing more than an administrative agency created by statute, created by RCW Title II. No, they are not created by the Constitution. Because guess what, folks? Washington State's Constitution that you can find in the Revised Code of Washington is a fake Constitution. They're going to say, no, 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 we had authority to uh, uh, make this Constitution by the Enabling Act. Sorry, folks, guess what? Senate Bill 185, the purported Enabling Act that purported to allow Washington, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Montana to convene a second constitutional convention, frame a second constitution, and elect a new state government in which Dixie Lee Radiation and the lesbian Christian Greg Wire you know, who's promoting the same-sex marriage crap. She only had a husband as a front to cover the fact. You know, I think it's a crime that she fully intended to do same-sex marriages because she was a lesbian and had a lover the whole time. Um, she fooled the public. That's dishonest. She should, you know what, the fact is, folks, Christine Gregoire was never the governor of the state. Dixie Lee Radiation was never the governor of the state. Because guess what? Senate Bill 185, the so-called Enabling Act, is a one-house bill. It never passed both houses of Congress. Kurt Riggin, Lloyd Smith, and I went to Washington, D.C. We have certified copies of every session law, every Senate bill, every House bill for Senate Bill 185. We have absolute certified proof from the National Military Archives that Senate Bill 185 is a one-house bill. It never passed both houses of Congress. Their only constitution that might be valid would be the very first one and no other. But guess what? It's invalid because guess what? Nobody signed it. That's right. Nobody signed it. Lloyd Smith and Lewis Ewing are the first two men ever, ever in Washington history to, to anybody's knowledge. Okay? Uh, the archivist will tell you that the former head archivist, David Hastings, died five, six years ago. He told Lloyd and me um, in the presence of Terry Badger and Patricia Hopkins, okay, who used to work at the archives, that I was the first one to ever order certified copies. I got four certified copies of their phony constitution, four certified copies of the 1878 Walla Walla Constitution, 
I got four certified copies of the Journal of the Constitutional Convention for their phony constitution and also the Walla Walla Constitution of 1878. I'm the first person to order certified copies of the election results proving that the 1878 Walla Walla Constitution legally passed. I also got certified copies of their phony constitution, which they pretended to make it pass. But Lloyd Smith is the first person to, uh, and with David Hastings' help, with rubber gloves on, more than three hours, Lloyd Smith and David Hastings were peeling apart the pages that were stuck together of Washington's phony RCW constitution. What proves that their constitution is fake, folks, two things. And this is major. This is critical. Their phony constitution is laid out folio style with a blank page between. Because we exposed that, they won't allow anybody else to physically inspect it to look at it because they're trying to hide it, which is fraud. They know that they're fraud. All the judges in Washington know that they're full of shit. They're not really judges, okay, because they do not have an oath to uphold any constitution. Their constitution's a fake. It's laid out folio style with a blank page in between the last page of the phony constitution and the signature page, which proves nobody ever signed their constitution on July 4, 1889. The secondary proof of that is Lloyd Smith found a notorial seal that was dated 1898. Now, how could that constitution be a, possibly be a July 4, 1889 constitution when there's a notary seal inside it dated 1898, 10 years later. <laughs> so Lloyd decided to do some additional research in the news published newspapers at the time that the so-called phony constitution was passed. Lloyd found a newspaper article, and we've got three Supreme Court decisions that says the published newspaper articles are the law. The court ruled since they lost all the legislative journals and notes for the Constitutional Convention, they didn't really lose it. They didn't want to pay the stenographer for the cost of, of, of you know, transcribing all of it. So he kept them all, okay? There's actually people out there that have the original notes from their phony constitution, which they've kept hidden from the public, okay? Uh, well, Lloyd found a newspaper article that showed one of the delegates of their phony constitution apparently didn't sign it 17 years earlier. It's in the published newspaper. He's signing it 17 years later. That proves that if everybody didn't sign it at the time that it was done, it's fake. It's fraud. Now, there's a published decision called State versus Ryan. I don't have it in front of me now. But it says, by the Enabling Act, passed, by the Enabling Act passed February 22nd, okay, the territory of Washington, past tense, became the state of Washington. Well, that begs the question, folks. If they're claiming the territory of Washington became the state of Washington, on February 22nd, 1889, then that means one thing and one thing only. It became the state of Washington based upon the fact that we had an 1878 Walla Walla Constitution that was approved by Congress on January 28, 1889. If they're saying in State versus Ryan that the state, territory of Washington became the state of Washington on February 22nd, 1889, that's proof that their constitution did not is not the proper constitution for the state of Washington because their funny constitution, they claim, wasn't done until July 4. So how could we become the state of Washington when their constitution didn't exist on February 22, 1889? Their funny constitution, again, folks, I'm repeating myself, their funny constitution, they claim, wasn't done until July 4, 1889. Okay, so we got February, March, 
April, May, June, July. They didn't have their funny constitution done until six months later. So the only way that we could have become the state of Washington on February 22nd, 1889, would have to be by the fact that they knew for a fact Congress already reviewed, approved, and ordered to be published the 50th Congress. Okay? Nobody can prove me wrong. Nobody. If you try to prove me wrong, you'll end up proving me right. Folks, go look it up. Go look in the congressional records. Go try to prove Lewis Ewing's wrong. Go look in the congressional records. Senate miscellaneous document. Okay? That's the one that you're going to look for. January 28, 1889. Serial set. 2615, volume 2. Go look it up. One page will say, Constitution for the State of Washington. It'll give you another page number, another volume of books to go look at. And when you go look at those documents, miscellaneous document number 55, printed on January 28, 1889. Go read it. Okay? The congressional record. You know what that means, folks? Under the federal rules of evidence. Evidence rule 902 under the state rules of evidence. Okay? It's a self-authenticating document. Go read the rules of evidence, folks. Any document that has been published in the Federal Register, okay, any document that has been approved by Congress, congressionally approved, is required under Evidence Rule 902 to be a self-authenticating document. That is absolute conclusive proof. January 28, 1889. Folks, go look at it. When you read it, you won't be reading the July 4, 1889 Constitution. When you go read what Congress our American Congress in Washington, D.C. It's in the congressional record. What it says is the Constitution for the State of Washington on January 28, 1889 is in fact in law the 1878 Walla Walla Constitution. The State of Washington has no authority to exist in fact or law. In fact, under the law, folks, State of Washington, this corporate entity is registered on Dun & Bradstreet, does not exist in fact or law. That is a fact. Let me go on. It's administrative. It's nothing more than administrative agency. Let me read you another quote. An administrative agency, like the board, only has those powers granted by the legislature. In very little, the board may not amend or alter the statutes under which it functions by its own interpretation of those statutes. This it cannot do. This court presumes the validity of an administrative rules adopted pursuant to legislative grant of authority and will uphold such rules on review if they are reasonably consistent with the statute being implemented. The United States Supreme Court has long recognized that a statute so vague and indefinite in form as interpreted may violate the 14th Amendment, citing Winters versus New York. This court specifically has held that the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment requires specificity in penal statutes, Seattle versus Rice. The test is whether men of reasonable intelligence are required to guess at the meaning of the statute, Seattle versus Rice at 731. See also Seattle versus Drew. Okay, this is In Ray Myers citing um, these cases that I just cited. Um, uh, I'll post this statute, I mean, this case on the board also. Where does gold dredger dredge at? Uh, there were three listening at this local. We expect like numbers at other call and listener locations. Well, you know, folks. Law seems to be boring to most of the patriots and constitutionalists. They would rather hear somebody blow smoke up their ass like Rod Class or Carl Lance or uh, Dean Clifford. Okay, the jailbirds. The, the jailbirds who lose all their cases. 
They're going to brag about wins without giving any case numbers because they don't have any wins. They're, they're a bunch of lying pieces of shit. These people lose most of their cases. They don't know anything about law, and they make up a bunch of bullshit. They baffle with your bullshit. They tell you you just don't understand. You didn't say this word right. You didn't say that word right. And it's always at the next lesson or at the next seminar or the next webinar that you're going to pay for. Ha! Huh? <laughs> okay? Folks, you will learn more about law just reading my free flyers than you will going to any seminar by Dean Clifford, Carl Lentz, and Rod Class, and Carl Weston, and Carl Miller put together. Those people are a bunch of morons, legal lunatics, and dumb fucks, in my opinion. Kurt Riggin thinks so, too. Lloyd Smith thinks so, too. Matt from Michigan thinks so, too. Matt from Michigan gets mad when I even mention their name. <laughs> because that's how stupid those fuckers are. But you go to their show uh, and listen to their bullshit on Angela Stark's My Private Audio Talk Show, you'll see 100 people on the board. And they're like, how in the hell do they get 100 people listening to these people talk? And what did you learn? Did you learn a goddamn thing? Do you learn anything on Angela Stark's show, the My Private Audio, with any of her speakers? Do they tell you any court rule, any case law, any statute? Do they, do they tell you anything? Uh, I tried listening to an, uh, their last their last show with, with Carl Lentz and Dean Clifford. They talked and talked and talked for an hour, and I didn't learn one damn thing, nothing. But here, folks, I'm giving you case sites that you can go to the law library and look up and actually learn something. Okay, a judge, okay, here's another good site. Um, not sure if it's correct. I'm telling you folks, look this up at the library. This is another one I think I got from Richard McDonald. A judge ceases to sit as a judicial officer because the governing principles of administrative law provides that courts are prohibited from substituting their evidence, testimony, record, arguments, and rationale for that of the agency. Actually, folks, I'm thinking I might have got this one from James B. Wood. Additionally, Courts are prohibited from substituting their judgments for that of the agency. And um, this case, I'll post it on the board, AC versus U.S. Uh, sounds like a real good site. I'm going to have to make a trip to the library and see if that's correct or not. Um, I'm reading off of an old brief I put together a long, long time ago um, when I was just starting out. It's more than 10 years old, maybe 15 Um Judges who become involved in enforcement of mere statutes, civil or criminal in nature and otherwise, act as mere clerks of the involved agency. Uh, Casey Davis, Administrative Law, Chapter 1, CTP West, 1965 edition. Um, I think this is James B. Wood also. Um, I'll post the site on the board so you guys can have it and you can look it up. And, folks, if any of these case quotes are wrong, get to the library before I do. Um, uh, Post a note of that on the next uh, the next uh, talk show that we do here. Uh, here's the the rest of the site from the, from that goes with that. FRC versus GE, 281 US, uh, page 464, and I'll post this on the board. Okay, that that's on the board now. Okay, it's so called. Municipal or district court that is not a constitutional court is a legislative tribunal. In speaking on this subject in relation to the Constitution for the United States of America, the Supreme Court said, okay, uh, folks, I'm going to point out something. Um, there's a lot of people out there that have a mistaken agency, uh, mistaken uh, idea about the federal courts, but I'll read you this case quote from 
Mukini versus the United States. Um, the term district courts of the United States, without an addition expressing a wider connotation, has its historic significance. It describes the constitutional courts created under Article Three of the Constitution. Courts of the territories are legislative courts, properly speaking, and are not district courts of the United States. Okay? Uh, folks, uh, all these district courts are actually um, ex executive courts. Okay? They're not Article Three so-called judicial power courts, and everybody thinks they got to get to Article Three court. they got to get to the judicial power court, and there we're going to find the honest judge who's going to rule in my favor uh, and not tell me my brief is frivolous. Okay, folks, the goofballs out there are writing frivolous briefs, and that's what they are. They're frivolous, okay, period. Okay, and, and you're not going to find this magical Article Three court that Rod Class calls the District of Color. I'm thinking, like, the District of Color, what in the hell is that? Oh, he was looking to find the District of Black Judges. He was going to find a judge, but the District of Color is a black judge, and the black judge is going to rule in his favor. <laughs> Okay, Okay. so the expression of the Supreme Court of the United States of America shows that no constitutional judicial power is, ex is exercised by legislative courts. Instead, such courts only exercise a power derived from the legislative branch as an extension of the legislative rather than judicial power. A legislative tribunal does not exercise judicial power, but merely administers legislative powers according to the nature of its creation. Okay, I'm going to give you the quote from nine federal statutes annotated, page 212, and then I'll post that site on the board. Okay. Territorial courts are legislative courts created in virtue of the general right of sovereignty which exists in the government, or in virtue of that clause which enables Congress to make all needful rules and regulations respecting the territory belonging to the United States. The jurisdiction with which they are invested is not part of that judicial power which is defined in the third article of the Constitution, but is conferred by Congress. In the execution of those general powers which that body possesses over the territories of the United States. Well, folks, I'm going to close my window. Um, and a big truck going by. Uh, uh, I forgot, and I had my window open, so hopefully that will quiet things down a little bit uh, so you don't have to hear so much background noise. Here's that site Nine Federal Statutes Annotated, page 212. Okay, ask the law librarian to show you how to look that up. Okay. In constitutional courts, those courts that exercise judicial powers, the legislative branch cannot prescribe any qualification for the office of judge not prescribed by the Constitution from which jurisdiction is vested. This is an uh, Oregon case, State XRL Chapman versus Appling, 220, Oregon, page 41, or 348, Pacific 2nd, page 759, 1960. Okay. Um, I'm showing you folks more. The municipal courts and district courts are courts of limited jurisdiction. The power of the municipal or district court is that of the old justice of the peace courts, which were courts of limited and special jurisdiction. And folks, that's what a municipal court and a district court is. It's either a justice of the peace court or what they call a police court. Um, in Oregon, they have what they call circuit courts. But like in Texas, they have the same thing like Washington. They have justice of the peace courts and police courts. And uh, there's that next site, State versus Officer, for Oregon, page 180, 1871. Inferior tribunals are subject to the supervisory control, quote, judicial powers, 
and must show affirmative proof on the face of the inferior tribunal record to sustain a conviction. If the court is of some special statutory jurisdiction, it is as to such proceeding an inferior court and not aided by presumption of jurisdiction. Norman versus Zeber, 3 Oregon Reporter, page 198. That's an old Oregon case. I'll post that on the board. Again, I need to get the years on these cases, but you guys can look up the cases from the sites. Okay? The constitutional rule for inferior tribunals set down by the Supreme Oregon Supreme Court in Evans versus Martin. Um, let me grab the site and then I'll and then I'll read what the site says. Hold on. Evans versus Martin. This is this goes hand in hand with the Bill of Attainder argument. The constitutional rule that justice courts are of limited jurisdiction, their judgments must be sustained affirmatively by positive proof that they had jurisdiction of the cases they attempt to decide. Okay? Now, back to the Bill of Attainder Clause, okay? Citing U.S. versus Brown. 381 U.S. 437 at page 440, 1965. The Bill of Attainder Clause was intended not as a narrow, technical, and therefore soon-to-be-outmoded prohibition, but rather as an implementation of the separation of powers, a general safeguard against legislative exercise of the judicial function, or more simply, trial by legislature. Folks, since the criminally corrupt Washington State Bar Association has infiltrated our legislature, that's right, folks, infiltrated our legislature, better than 50% of our state legislature happens to be attorneys who are members of the Washington State Bar. They're in there like a private steering committee, screwing around with the statutes, getting rid of statutes they don't like. You know, they had a bunch of homosexuals invade the legislature and, they, and in secret, in conspiracy, okay, actually it's called misprision of treason, by rising in force of numbers, these homos, faggots, infiltrated the legislature, guess what they did? Without bringing it to the public's vote, you guys aren't, are not going to fucking believe this. They repealed the sodomy statute. Are you, are you fucking kidding me? Oh, we don't like this statute. Uh, they haven't enforced it in a long time. This is just a silly statute. Let's just get rid of it. <laughs> yeah, the homos invaded the state legislature, and behind closed doors, they conspired to get rid of the sodomy statute because they couldn't get married. They they thought, well, we can't, get, we can't ask for same-sex marriages because everybody's saying you can't consummate the marriage because sodomy is a felony crime. And that would make same-sex marriages illegal. Well, we just got to get rid of that statute. We just got to get rid of it. That's just silly. Okay. <laughs> they got rid of the sodomy statute. You know what? And the reason for that is because some of the fags in our state legislature capital got caught querying the young page boys in our state capital, And they didn't want to go to prison for rape. Okay. Because they got caught querying. This was a big deal in the papers about 20, 25 years ago. Okay, 30-something years ago, um, about the same time, you know, the gay rights movement is starting to push for same-sex marriages, so they started infiltrating the legislature, and they got rid of the sodomy statute. They never brought it to the public's vote. Um, I'll go into reading common law, folks, but guess what? The common law says when they repeal a statute, the common law, which has always been there all along, exists exclusive of the statute, now comes to the forefront. I'm going to tell you guys something funny. This is ridiculous. I mean, you can say, Lewis, that's just, this is wrong. This is just sick. That's not, that's not right. That's not very nice, Lewis. 
Guess what they did? When they repealed the sodomy statute, they made it legal to kill faggots. <laughs> and I'm laughing about it because it's like it's so fuck. These people are so goddamn stupid. They've outsmarted themselves. That's right. I can show you Sutherland's on statutory construction, citing Washington State Supreme Court decisions that says the common law exists exclusive of the statute. When they repeal a statute, the common law, which has been there all along, which exists exclusive of the statute, now comes to the forefront. Okay, folks, since there's no statute prohibiting sodomy anymore, well, guess what? The common law, which has always been there all along, now comes to the forefront. Okay, RCW 4.04.010 preserves the common law in the state of Washington. Okay, since there's no statute prohibiting sodomy, we have to look at the common law. Guess what, folks? Under the common law, sodomy is still a felony crime. Can anybody out there guess and tell me what the punishment is under the common law for sodomy? Death by stoning. That's right. It's now legal to kill faggots by stoning them with rocks and stones. Of course, I don't believe in that because I don't believe in murder. The Bible says thou shalt not kill. But at the same time, the Bible says you can stone faggots. <laughs> and, and that's what the common law says. That was the, the common law of England. The punishment for sodomy was death by stoning. And so the Washington State Legislature, the faggots who infiltrated the legislature to repeal the sodomy statute, think, oh, well, we can get married now, because now we got rid of the sodomy statute. We can get married. We, now we can consummate the marriage. Well, guess what, folks? Consummating the marriage, having sex does not mean consummating the marriage. That's what most people don't understand about consummation of the marriage. In order to consummate the marriage, you have to produce the offspring. So the fact that they made a so-called statute, well, it's legal now. They passed the law. No, they didn't. Okay? They passed an illegal statute, which means it's void. Nunc pro tunc, ab initio, nunc pro tunc to the beginning. It's void from the beginning. It doesn't exist. It's a phony statute. Look, look, I got a piece of paper here, Mr. Ewing. You're wrong. See, see, see my marriage certificate? Hey, I could go to any print shop and make up a phony marriage certificate, too. No, no, this legislature passed it. Well, folks, 1961, Pro Tacoma said the RCW is not the law. Okay? <laughs> okay. This is funny, folks, but I can send you a, an email about uh, showing you numerous case sites with the common law. But guess what? I'm going off topic here with the ex post facto and bill of tenure clause, but i got to make fun of the faggots of their, their silly marriage license. Guess what consummation of the marriage means? It means you have to produce the offspring. You have to produce the baby. I found the older jurisprudence that specifically says if the woman is infertile or the man is shooting blanks, without even having to wait for the judgment to be finalized or even signed by the judge, the case law says that marriage is subject to annulment from the very beginning. Folks, look up the definition of annulment. You know what it means? It means you were never married in the first place. The older jurisprudence says you don't even have to go to court to apply for the annulment. The marriage voids from the beginning. Okay? So until the faggots can produce the first shit baby out of their fucking ass, okay, and I don't know how the lesbians, two lesbians are going to produce a baby, but until I, somebody makes the Guinness Books of World Records, two men can produce uh, proof that they produced an offspring, or two women can produce an offspring, they can't consummate the marriage. They never consummated the marriage because they can't produce the offspring. So the fact is, the law says their marriage was subject to annulment from the very beginning. Nunc pro tunc and ab initio. Annulment, when you look it up, folks, it means you were never married in the first place. 
You have a phony piece of paper that means nothing. Okay? You don't... And the funny thing is, some of these queers think, I'm going to marry this rich guy because he's got all kinds of money and I'm going to divorce him. Man, I'm going to take half his stuff. Ha, 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 ha. Well, I'm just revealing the secret that every homo could say, no, I'm getting my marriage annulled. There's no divorce and you're not getting half of nothing. Because... We were never married in the first place because we're two men. We can't legally be married because we can't consummate the marriage because we can't produce the offspring, and we can't have babies. So guess what? We were You were never married in the first place. That's So, folks, this is something that most people don't know. You heard it first from me, but if you look it up, you won't be able to prove me wrong. You'll only prove that I'm right. I've researched this in detail. And uh, I'd like to put up a website that reveal it to the world that all all faggot marriage licenses are fake. They're a fraud. Okay. Let me go back to the Bill of Attainer stuff, folks. These clauses of the Constitution are not of the broad, general nature of the Due Process Clause, but refer to rather precise legal terms which had meaning under English law at the time the Constitution was adopted. A Bill of Attainer was a legislative act that singled out one or more persons and imposed punishments on them without the benefit of trial. Such actions were regarded as odious by the framers of the Constitution because it was the traditional role of a court judging in an individual case to impose punishment. This is uh, William, Rehnqu- William Rehnquist um, uh, in the Supreme Court, okay, at page 166. Bills of Attainder. This is James Madison, the Federalist, number 44, 181788. Bills of Attainder, ex post facto laws, and laws impairing the obligations of contracts are contrary to the first principles of the social compact and to every principle of sound legislation. The sober people of America are weary of the fluctuating policy which has directed the public councils. They have seen with regret and indignation that sudden changes in legislative interferences in cases affecting personal rights become jobs in the hands of enterprising and influential speculators and snares to the more industrious and less informed part of the community. James Madison, Federalist Number 44, 1788. Okay, so... The enactment authorizing summary proceedings by the court is clearly applied to free white citizens of the several compact states of the old union in such a way as to inflict punishment on them without common law trial and is therefore unconstitutional bill of pains and penalties as applied to free white men. There can be no doubt that this act can and does pertain to those artificial subjects and members who are wards or creations of the state and in those cases, it is not unconstitutional. Government has the right to control, limit, restrict, and regulate the actions of those artificial persons they create or natural persons subject to them and subject those artificial persons as a legal subjects of legislative order sanctioned without trial. Okay? Supreme Court cases construing the Bill of Attainer Clause include, and I'm going to po- I'll post these sites, folks, Ex Parte Garland. And, uh, uh, folks, this has nothing to do with racism or prejudicism, Okay? Because uh, I'm not white, but actually all these uh, original laws uh, really only applied uh, to the white men or to the goyim. Okay, uh, folks, look up Alfred Adast. Alfred Adast, uh, former editor of the Anti-Shatter magazine, he's got a really unique article about man or other animals. Okay, uh, I believe Alfred Adast is probably Jew. He kind of looks Jew. Okay, and he was being prosecuted um, and looking at some serious jail time and huge fines in the thousands of dollars because he was selling colloidal silver, prescribing it as some kind of a medicine or cure for some kind of a disease. And 
he reveals something he should not have revealed. He's probably gotten in trouble with it. Okay. Uh, he pointed out that he was a man created in God's image, citing sections out of the Bible. And he reveals something that you judges don't like people to know. Man or other animals. What does that mean? You're a man. What do you mean, or other animal? Did you know that the Jews consider the Gentiles what they call the goyim? Ask any Jewish person, folks. What's a goyim? They're going to tell you, oh, it's, it's somebody that's not Jew. No, 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 no. Ask them in detail. Say, well, no, I want to know in detail. What what really is a goyim? And guess what? Generally, if they're a polite Jew, they're going to say, oh, never mind. I don't want to talk to you about this subject. Change the subject. They don't want to talk to you about it. But I can show you famous rabbi quotes It says, a goyim is the human dog, the human cattle, sheep, pig, swine. And ta-da, we have the swine flu shot for the baby kids, the children of the goyim. Okay? Besides, uh, I'm reading um, for Bill of Attainder, Nixon versus Administrator with General Services. Okay? These statutes, folks, were written for man or other animals. Look up human. Human means part animal, part beast. Okay. Monster or beast, yes. Somebody's posting that on the board. So look up Alfred Adas article, Man or Other Animals. For some reason, the judge dismissed the case against Alfred Adas. He basically made the claim that all the statutes only apply to the goyim. They don't apply to him because he's a man created God's image. Okay, and person. Okay, you know these guys like Carl Lentz say, "I'm the natural man," and they say nothing in support of what they say. This is the difference, folks. Look up a case. This is the difference between a competent legal speaker and a goofball who goes into court half-assed, half-cocked, half-researched. When I make an argument, I cite my authorities. Okay, Hurtado versus California. I don't have the exact site with me now, but folks, you can Google Hurtado versus California. It says, if it's law, it will be found in the law books. If it's not the law, it won't be found in the law books. Okay? So, if you want to claim you're not a person, then look up all the legal definitions of person. Look up the case law of person. Okay? The best case that I can think of for those fighting CPS, and I'm putting something together on this, and it's going to rock the state, the CPS's world on this. I'm going to be putting together a motion to return my property. Okay? Dred Scott has never been overturned. Dred Scott is a US, holding a U.S. Supreme Court decision. It's the case that all Jew judges hate the worst. Dred Scott was ruled to be a person. And therefore, because he was a person, it was proper to treat him as property. That's right, folks. Now, let's go look at Roe versus Wade. If you have a children that was born alive out of the womb... Of all ages, that child is a person. So under Roe versus Wade, your child is a person. And under Dred Scott, that person is property. We have the right to have a motion put in the return of our property. Nobody's ever done that, citing those cases. Okay? So I'm telling you, the world out there, let's file, tell all the CPS, all the CPS victims to start filing motions for t- return of their property, naming their children as persons under the law, according to versus Roe versus Wade, declaring them to be property under Dred versus Scott, 
and cite the sections of the state and federal constitution that says the state cannot take property without compensating you. They didn't pay you for your children. They can't take them. They took the property, their property without taking them. Guess what, folks? Also, I want to cite another argument. Taking the children away uh, uh, also violates the Bible, your religious conviction. The Bible says... The father shall raise up the child. It doesn't say that the state shall raise up the child. The father shall raise up the child. The Bible also says the babies are the gift from God. Okay? The babies, the womb in the womb, are a gift from God. And the Bible also says the children are our heritage from God. Okay? Heritage, folks, look it up. Heritage means property. The Bible says the children are our gift from God and our heritage, our property from God. And under the separation of church and state, let's use that again. Okay, first of all, folks, I'm going to tell you, bullshit, there's no such thing as separation of church and state. But since they're using it, let's run with it and use it against them. Okay? Under the doctrine of separation of church and state, and since they have to protect all my religious beliefs and convictions, but especially they have to protect my religious convictions, the Bible says the children are my heritage and my property. They have to give them back to me. And since Dred Scott says, says their property, they violated that section of the Constitution, okay, to take your children from you, okay? Carl Lentz and Rod Class just goes in there and says, just give me my property. But they cite nothing in support. The case law says the proponent, the burden of proof upon a proponent of any legal argument is upon the party making it. Well, Your Honor, you have to rule in my favor. That way I can get more dummies to listen to me on my, my Angela's my private audio. Let me win. Please win. <laughs> okay, folks, you're not going to win unless you cite a case where another judge in another court higher than the judge you're dealing with has ruled in your favor on the same particular issue that you're facing in court. That's the only way you're going to beat them. You're not going to go in there with any hocus-pocus bullshit. These guys like Dean Clifford and Rod Class and Carl Lentz, these guys are fucking bullshitters. They can't give you any case numbers of any wins that they've ever won. One or two? Big deal. I've got dozens. 2004, folks, Kurt Riggin and I won the largest marijuana case in the United States ever won for a pro se litigant. Okay? Kurt Riggin and I worked on that case together. The Snohomish County Superior Court. Well... Okay, um, let me post my emails, folks. Um, uh, let's see, i got to go up top of the screen here. Um, you, I'll, my email, RCW Codebuster. RCW, folks, obviously stands for Revised Code of Washington because I'm from Washington State, but actually I'm the Codebuster for all 50 states. Well, we have 51 or 52, I forget. They're not states. I'm going to post my email address. You folks send me an email. And I will send you my list of testimonials with with the cause number, a Stonewash County Superior Court cause number, where Kurt Riggin won his case. You can call the court clerk, give him Kurt Riggin's name, State of Washington versus Kurt Riggin, give him the case number, and ask him, is this a real case? Did Kurt really win? They're going to tell you yes. They're going to, and then you can say, can I get copies of all the briefs in the file? The court clerk's going to say no. The judges have ordered the case be sealed. Nobody can get copies of Lewis Schilling's briefs unless you pay him money for it. <laughs> they won't tell you that part, but that's the truth. Uh, was this case published? They're going to say no. It was ordered unpublished, and the case has been sealed. Well, can I get a copy of the findings of fact and conclusions of law? 
the, uh, can I get a copy of the docket that shows the reason why it won or when it won? And they'll say, oh, yeah, we'll sell you a copy of the docket. And that's all you can get, folks. You can get a copy of the docket. Um, they might sell you the findings. I forget if they sell that or not. Um, but you will not get copies of the briefs. Okay, send me an email, and I can prove it to you. Okay? Uh, my websites. Um, I'll get those on the board, too. LewisEwing.com, um, UltimateUsers.com, CPSExposed.com, and um, IRSBuster.com. And, oops, it looks like it uh, missed a site. Let me get the other one. Um, HTTP, it cut off for some reason, and I lost it. Buster.com. Uh, uh, Great session, Louis. Thanks. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. You know, but most people do get um, bored with statutes and case law. Oh, he's statutory. Well, folks, the goofballs in the Patriot movement told you, I'm common law. Louis is statutory. Bullshit. These people don't know shit about common law, okay? They don't, you know, I know so much more about the common law than all these so-called fucking common law gurus out there, okay? They can't point to any wins, but I can. Send me that list of testimonials. Now, let me get back to the bill of attainder, okay? Furthermore, even if the court rules against me and imposes monetary penalties, I will never have to pay, and I will be able to do so lawfully, and there's nothing the court can do about it. See RCW 10.64080. Folks, this is proof. All traffic tickets are a bill of attainder, okay, because it attaches to your estate. RCW 1064080, judgments, a lien on realty. Judgments for fines and all criminal actions rendered are and may be made liens upon the real estate of the dependent in the same manner and with like effect as judgments and civil actions. There you go, judgments and civil actions can become a lien on your property. Therefore, it's a bill of attainder. RCW 10.82.010, executions for fine and cost. Upon a judgment for fines and costs and for all adjudged costs, the execution shall be issued against the property of the dependent and returned in the same manner as in civil actions. Okay? RCW 10.82030, debtor's prison. Commitment for failure to pay fine and costs, execution against dependent's property, reduction by payment, labor, or confinement. Slave labor for the Jews, folks. Seven, that's seven Jewish Noahide laws, 700 slaves for every Jew. Execution may at any time issue against the property of the defendant for the portion of such fine and cost not reduced by the application of this section. Okay. So it's undisputed, folks, Your Honor. You rule against me. Whatever monetary fines that you impose would attach to my estate. Therefore, I'm never going to have to pay. Ha, ha, ha. Article 1, Section 23 of the State Constitution says, 23, bills of attainder, expo facto law, etc. No bill of attainder, expo facto law, or law impairing the obligation of a contract shall ever be passed. There you have it, folks. Every single traffic ticket is a bill of attainder. Now, I'm going to go to, uh, I have to go open up another file folder um, where I have more recent, I read you the older, older, old case law, okay, and I posted those sites on the board. But now, I'm going to go to the new case law Washington State Supreme Court and Washington State Appellate Court decisions that tell you with more specificity exactly what a bill of attainder is, and you'll start to open your eyeballs, and you're going to see, oh, my God, Lewis is right. All traffic tickets are a bill of attainder because this is exactly what they do, okay? 
Um, okay, I found the document. Now I have to do a little search. Folks, you want to send me my email, you'll get you'll get a crack out of this. Uh, my email against the same-sex marriages has a whole bunch of uh, um, sites on um, expo facto clause. And part of my argument against the same-sex marriages is the same-sex marriage statute's illegal, okay? It's an expo facto violation because until they abolish and repeal the common law statute, RCW 4.04.010, which preserves the common law, okay? They can't pass a same-sex marriage law until they get rid of the common law statute that preserves the common law because under the common law, sodomy is still a felony crime. Let me... Uh, start reading you some of the case quotes from Washington State. Um, let me post this first site on the board first because it's a long site and you'll start to see where's the audio? Uh-oh. Uh, you should have audio. Uh, everybody else has audio. Personal restraint of Powell. Okay. Expo facto clause. The ex post facto clause forbids the state from enacting laws which impose punishment for an act which was not punishable when committed or increased the quantum of punishment annexed to the crime when it was committed. U.S. Constitution, Article 1, Section 10, Clause 1, Constitution, Article 1, Section 23. See, Weaver versus Graham. Okay. Let me, that's a good site, too. Uh, um, um, let me post this on the board first before I read the rest of the site. Weaver versus Graham is another um a uh, more recent case on expo facto stuff. So that's a good case. Weaver versus Graham, folks, that's on the board now. That's part of the site, personal restraint of Powell, okay, uh, which goes on to say, in case cited in it, critical to relief under the expo facto clause is not an individual's right to less punishment, but the lack of fair notice and governmental restraint when the legislature increases punishment beyond what was prescribed when the crime was consummated. Weaver at 30. A law violates the expo facto clause if it is, one, if is substantive as opposed to merely procedural. Two, is retrospective, applies to events which occurred before its enactment. And three, disadvantages the person affected by it. See Weaver versus Graham, Supra at page 29. And also Collins versus Youngblood. I don't have the, uh, the proper site for it, uh, but I'll give you enough of the site, folks, that you can look this up on the Internet to get the proper site for it. Collins versus Youngblood. Um, also a more recent case on ex post facto. Um, these cases are, are really good stuff, okay? Uh, the Constitution prohibits ex post facto laws. For a law to be ex post facto, it must, be, it must detrimentally alter the standard of punishment called for by a prior law, not by a prior administrative practice, which was not required by that law. Uh, see Warren versus United States Parole Commission. See also Watson versus Estelle, Ninth Circuit. The reason for this is clear. One of the primary justifications of the ex post facto clause is that legislative acts should give fair warning of their effect and permit individuals to rely on their meaning until explicitly changed. Okay. Here's the next case. Uh, State versus Valentine. Okay. You'll start to understand this better, folks. I'm going to hammer it over your head. The ex post facto clauses of both the state and federal constitutions prohibit the state from enacting any law which imposes punishment for an act which was not punishable when committed. Okay, folks, think about it. You get a speeding ticket. That's a civil infraction. Once a civil infraction, always a civil infraction. 
Okay, they decriminalized the traffic code in 1984 at the Court Reform Acts. Decriminalized. Okay, you get a speedy ticket, you don't pay it. Okay, you get a no insurance ticket, you don't pay it. Uh, you get a, a no val- driving without a license for you know all of these these three offenses. The maximum penalty is $250. No jail time authorized. It's a civil infraction. It's not a crime. Okay, so. The judge says penalty is 250 he finds you guilty. You walk out of court and you say, screw it, I'm not paying it. i got to pay rent. I don't have enough money to pay that ticket because i got to pay rent. Okay, my kid's got to eat. I don't have enough money to pay 250 If I make that $250 payment, I won't be able to make my card payment. I won't be able to make my rent. The judge doesn't give a shit. You don't pay that ticket, guess what? They suspend your privilege to drive. This is where the scam comes in, folks, because you are not required to have a driver's license in the first place. So, next time you run a red light, or even if you're not running a red light. You could be driving at the normal rate of speed, 30 miles an hour exactly. You're being real careful. All of a sudden, you see a cop turning onto the street behind you. He speeds up. He's coming down the, he's coming down the lot. All of a sudden, he's behind you, but he slows down. All of a sudden, the lights come on. <laughs> well, sir, you're driving while suspended. Well, well, what was the probable cause? Well, sir, you're driving while suspended. Well, what's the probable cause? Sir, you're driving while suspended. You're going to jail. Tell it to the judge. I don't want to hear it. Okay, that's an illegal license plate check. So go to my website, lewisewing.com, download the no random no random flyer, no random checks flyer. Has all the case law that shows police officers cannot conduct random license plate checks. That's a search without a warrant. Okay? And and the Kitsap County Prostitutor's Office, see Kitsap County attorneys are unethical attorneys. Pamela Leginsky, Jeffrey Johns, these people are unethical attorneys. They wrote briefs into the State versus Martin case, uh, which talked about license plate checks which was a setup case with the Supreme Court, a bunch of criminals. They cornered the attorneys behind closed doors and said, look, we've got to make it easier for cops to give tickets. So let's create a case, and you attorneys make this argument. Don't make this argument here. Just make it look good, and then we'll let the other side win. Okay, so the Kitsap County Prostitutor's Office, they put in an amicus curiae brief, and they made the argument because the license plate was in plain view, the cops could run a check on it. Well... I started laughing at that when I saw that decision, folks. Go look up plain view cases, okay? And I did this as an offer of proof in the Puyallup Municipal Court where I beat charges for driving while suspended, uh, resisting arrest because I dumped a cop on his ass. Originally, they charged me in fourth-degree assault of a police officer, but they reduced the charge to resisting arrest because I dumped the cop on his ass when he tried to pull me out of the car, okay? I don't let cops manhandle me. I'm a former kickboxer, you know? If they fuck with me, I'm going to knock them out, okay? I don't give a shit, okay? Um, I dumped a cop on his ass. Uh, four other cops came and, and, and tackled me to the ground and unloaded a whole can of mace in my face, okay? They're a bunch of criminals. They pulled me over for bullshit, okay? Expired tabs. But guess what? My tabs were legit tabs. They look just the same as the state tabs. There's no law saying I can't make my own tabs. And I actually had tabs that looked exactly like state tabs. You could not tell the difference by looking at my tabs. The same color, the year, and the month, everything. Looks exactly the same. How did the cop find out I had expired tabs? Well, he ran a plate check and found out that my tabs were expired. So he's thinking the tabs on my car are either stolen tabs I pulled off somebody else's car. No, they're not because they had no numbers on them. Okay? Well, I had no numbers that were registered anybody. I had fake numbers. Okay? You can't charge me with counterfeiting. Okay, because the state does not have a patent or a copyright on the tabs. Yeah, okay, tabs, it's a square piece of uh, uh, basically reflective material. 
with the colors of the rainbow. Okay, each month has a different color. Um, you can't copyright colors of the rainbow, and you can't copyright numbers or days of the month. So I made my own tabs and put them on my plate because I didn't want to pay for tabs. Big fucking deal. I wasn't speeding. I wasn't running a red light. They had no business pulling me over. But anyway, I got charged with uh, driving while suspended, uh, obstructing a law enforcement officer, refusal to cooperate, resisting arrest, expired tabs over six months, and I ended up beating the case. All the charges dismissed. And the offer of proof I made for the court record freaked them out. I brought in a license plate, folks, a flashlight, and a pair of binoculars. I put the cop up on the stand, and I said, Your Honor, I'd like to make an offer of proof. And he goes, well, what's that? I said, well, i got the officer on the stand, and I need his help to make the offer of proof. I have a license plate here, sir. Um, officer, uh, the reason State versus Martin case, Your Honor, they said the license plate was in plain view. And so I'm going to prove that argument's wrong. Officer, can you tell me the name and address of the registered owner of this license plate? He's looking around. Well, you don't have an electronic mobile data terminal here uh, up there in your front seat there, do you? You have an mo- electronic mobile data terminal in your car, don't you? He goes, yeah. The judge says, well, hold on, Mr. Ewing. I'll tell you a minute. The judge turns around and starts punching in his computer. No, 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 Your Honor. I want you to tell me with your normal naked human vision. I want you to tell me the name of the owner of the vehicle. Well, Mr. Ewing, that's impossible. Nobody can do that. Exactly, Your Honor. And my argument is that under State versus Young, where the Washington State Supreme Court specifically held that the police officer's use of the heat and fair technology to see through the two-foot cement walls allowed the cops to see things they couldn't see with their normal human vision. It constituted a search without a warrant in violation of Article 1, Section 7 of the Washington State Constitution, Rights to Privacy. And in that case, Your Honor, they cited two other cases, uh, a case called State versus Rose, and other case, folks, I don't remember right now, uh, State versus uh, uh, Siegel, I think, where they compared the use of binoculars in one case to the use of a flashlight in another, where the attorneys tried to suppress on the ground to the binocular. No, the court ruled no. The binoculars did not allow the cops to see something they couldn't see with their normal human vision. It merely enhanced their vision. Had they been a little closer, they could have seen it with their normal human vision anyway. So they ruled it wasn't a search without a warrant. Okay? And in another case, Your Honor, they used a flashlight. And they said it was nighttime. The cops came up to a house. They walked around the back. There wasn't a fence. There wasn't any trespass signs. It was the open curtilage. They, uh, the house, they walked in the backyard. There's a big wooden patio. There's a big glass sliding door. And they walked up on the patio, but it was nighttime. They couldn't see. So they turned on their flashlight, and lo and behold, the curtains were open, fortunately, and they saw all the marijuana plants in the house. So the court ruled that this wasn't a search without a, a, a warrant. It wasn't a search without a warrant on the grounds that had it been daylight, they would have saw the marijuana plants. The flashlight merely enhanced their senses. It didn't allow them to see something they couldn't see with their normal human vision had it been earlier in the day. But unfortunately for the cops, it was nighttime, so they had to use flashlight. So the flashlight and binoculars enhanced the vision, but it does not allow them to see things they couldn't see with their normal human vision, as could the, the heat and infrared technology that allowed the cops to see through two-foot cement walls. So, Your Honor, I have a flashlight here. Picture this, folks. I'm shining a flashlight on a license plate in open court. I got my binoculars. And, Your Honor, I'm looking at the license plate with the flashlight and binoculars, and I can't tell the name of the registered owner. Officer, Your Honor, would you like to use my binoculars and flashlight? Would you like to tell me the name of the owners? And they're looking at me like, you fucking smartass, okay? And then I point the flashlight to the ceiling, folks. You'd be laughing your fucking ass off. The whole courtroom was full of almost the entire police force, and there was a whole bunch of attorneys, okay? The prosecutors were there. And I'm pointing the flashlight to the ceiling in the courthouse, the municipal court of Pellet. Your Honor, 
I'm pointing the flashlight to the ceiling and the binoculars, and I can't see to the satellite in outer space to the name and address of the registered owner. <laughs> the judge denied that motion, but reserved his right to make a, mo- a ruling uh, two, three weeks later, and he'd send me a mail uh, to let me know when sentencing would take place. The cop was intimidated. The judge was intimidated by the cops. Literally, ninety percent of the Pallet police force was in the was in the in the courtroom trying to intimidate Judge Stephen Shelton, the, the municipal court judge of the city of Puyallup. Okay. Three weeks later, we get nothing in the mail. So Lloyd gets pissed off because he posted my bail. So he sends a letter to the judge saying, "Hey, I posted Louis Ewing's bail, and I want my fucking bail money back." A couple weeks later, Lloyd gets a letter in the mail with a check for his bail, and Certified copies of the docket showing the judge dismissed all my cases. These chicken shit bastards, they'll deny my motions in front of the court clerks in front of the cops because they don't want to be embarrassed. They don't want the cops to find out that they're actually breaking the law. It would discourage the cops. The cops will start writing tickets to everybody. So these chicken shit bastards, the judges, the thieves in black Jesuit robes of treason, will deny all the motions in front of everybody. And then they'll dump my case out later in the mail because there's just chicken shit to admit it in my face that they're wrong and that I'm right. What a bunch of pussies. Let me read you the next coach quote, folks. The ex- okay, the expo, this is State versus Valentine. Let me take a peek here real quick. I'll go off screen. Did I post that on the board? The Valentine. Uh, no, let me get the Valentine case up on the board. Let me grab the site. But the expo facto thing is a big deal. By the mere lapse of time, they suspend your privilege to drive, and you're now looking at driving while suspended charges, a 90-day jail sentence, and or a $1,000 fine, or both, and you're going to jail. You're being arrested, taken into custody. You're being charged criminally because you didn't pay your master in the black robes, and then he's pissed because he needs money to make his wife's Mercedes payment. The fat hog slopping at the trough oppressing the poor people. They're creating a debtor's prison is what they're doing. The ex post facto clauses of both the state and federal constitutions prohibit the state from enacting any law which imposes punishment for an act which was not punishable when committed. Okay? Citing State versus Ward, ex post facto laws are contrary to the first principles of the social compact and to the very principle of sound legislation. James Madison, the Federalist Number 44, 1787. In the Federalist Papers by Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, and John Jay at page 227, Bantam Books, 1982, in principle, every law that makes an action done before the passing of the law and which was innocent when done, criminal, violates the clause. Calder versus Bull, 3 U.S., they call it 3 Dow, 386, 390, one limited edition, 658, 1798. Chase, um, Jay. That's, uh, see, I'm going to post that side on the board because that's uh, Calder vs. Bull is also a very famous ex post facto case. You guys really need to look this up. Calder vs. Bull. And it's now on the board. You guys can go to the law library and look that up. Ex post facto. The United States Supreme Court defined ex post facto laws as those falling within the following four categories. One, first, every law that makes an action done before the passing of the law and which was innocent when done, criminal, and punishes such action. Second, every law that aggravates a crime or makes it greater than it was when committed. Third, every law that changes the punishment and inflicts a greater punishment than the law annexed to the crime when committed. 
Fourth, every law that alters the legal rule of evidence and receives less or different testimony than the law requires at the time of the commission of defense in order to convict the offender. Calder versus Bull, quoted in State versus Clevenger, which is cited by this case I just read you, State versus Slider, 38 Washington Appellate, page 689 at 694, or 688 Pacific 2nd, page 538, September 24, 1984. Folks, I'm going to put out a free flyer that's going to be, I'm trying to figure out a shorter name. Maybe you folks can post an ID on the board for me. I'm thinking uh, all traffic tickets are bill of attainder flyer or bill of attainder flyer or uh, stop failure to pay suspension flyer or all suspensions are illegal flyer. Um, uh, folks, I want to make up a flyer showing basically that every single traffic ticket that you don't pay is illegal. If they suspend your driver's license or privilege to drive based upon your failure to pay a traffic ticket, that's illegal. And so I want to make a flyer, and, and I can crunch the case law and give you the exact citations that you'll be able to read in open court with my flyer. If your license was suspended for failure to pay a ticket, they will have to dump your case like a hot fucking potato. Okay, and I'm going to put that flyer out for free. Now, I'm going to end up on, sooner or later, folks, I'm going to create a, a store on my different websites. Right now, I have no store on my websites, okay, um, because, well, for taxation purposes, okay. Um, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to set up an entity owned by an Indian-owned business. People will make donations. Um, they will not be paying for product. They'll be making donations. It will be Indian-owned because I'm Indian, it'll be licensed on an Indian reservation, and I won't have to pay a dime in fucking taxes, and I can go neener neener to the IRS. You'll never get my money because my business is an Indian-owned business, and fuck you to the IRS, okay? I'm not going to contribute one penny um, to this corrupt government when you have corrupt judges who violate the law and do not follow the law. I'm not going to contribute one fucking penny, okay? I want them all fired. Everybody needs to learn how to turn their back on government Stop paying the taxes. Stop applying for the business licenses. You do not need a license to work. You do not need a license to drive. You folks don't need a cat license. Okay? Did you know you don't need a license for your fucking cat? You've all been brainwashed. Okay? I'm like a paper Rambo. I'm a modern-day Mel Gibson. I want to free everybody. You guys seen the movie Braveheart? I want to free everybody. Okay, you don't need a cat license. A cat license is a cat breeder's license. So unless you're selling kittens for money and openly advertising that you're selling kittens for money, you don't have to have a cat license unless you're a cat breeder. Same thing with dogs. Your dog, you don't need to, they can't give you a ticket for not having a dog license to walk your dog in the park. You're not required to have a dog license. Do the research. I've done the research. Okay, the original dog license only applies to dog breeders. So unless you're selling puppies, and advertising yourself as a dog breeder, you're not required to have a fucking doggy license. Okay, Johnson versus Morris. A statute is ex post facto when it afflicts a greater punishment for the commission of a crime than that which was originally annexed to the crime when committed, citing Calder versus Bull again. Now, here's another case. Uh, it's a real long cite, but I'm going to give you, um, let me give you the, um, the citation first. Uh, State versus Hennings. I'll post it on the board. And for those in Washington, these are good cases you need to read, along with the older expo factor cases I cited above. 
The ex post facto clauses of the state and federal constitutions prohibit the state from enacting any law which imposes punishment for an act which was not punishable when committed or which increases the quantum of punishment for the offense after the crime was committed. U.S. Constitution, Article 1, Section 10, Constitution, Article 1, Section 23, State versus Ward, also citing Inray versus Powell. Inray Powell. This court held a law violates the ex post facto clause if it is, one, is substantive as opposed to merely procedural, two, is retrospective, applies to events which occurred before its enactment, and three, disadvantages the person affected by it. See Weaver versus Graham, Collins versus Youngbug. This court held in ward that the sole determination of whether a law is disadvantageous is whether the law alters the standard of punishment which existed under prior law. Okay, Ward 123, Washington 2nd, at page 498. See also California Department of Corrections versus Morales, 514 U.S. Reporter, page 499, or 115 Supreme Court Reporter, 1597, or 131 Limited Edition, 2nd, page 588, 1995, where the court refused to hold that the Expo Facto Clause forbids any legislative change that has any conceivable risk of affecting a prisoner's punishment. Dobert versus Florida, 432 U.S. 282, 293, or 97 Supreme Court Reporter, 2290, or 53 Limited Edition, second page, 344, 1977. Even though it may work to the advantage of a defendant, a procedural change is not ex post facto. Okay. Article 1, Section 23 of the Washington Constitution provides, quote, no bill of attainder shall ever be passed. Article 1, Section 10 of the Federal Constitution provides that no state shall pass any bill of attainder. The Bill of Attainder Clause was intended to prohibit trials by the legislature, and it forbids the imposition of punishment by the legislature on specific persons, United States versus Brown. Okay? A Bill of Attainder is a legislative act which applies to named individuals or to easily ascertain members of a group in such a way to inflict punishment on them without judicial trial, State versus Shuffle, citing Brown. The prohibition on Bills of Attainder prohibits legislatures from singling out disfavored persons and meeting on summary punishment for past conduct. Landgraf versus USA Film Products. In order for a legislative enactment to be deemed a bill of attainder, it must, one, specify the affected persons, two, inflict punishment, and three, lack judicial trial. Selective Service versus Minnesota Public Interest Research Group, 468 U.S. 841, 104 Supreme Court Reporter 3348, or 82 Limited Edition 2nd, page 632, 1984. These cases I just read were all cited by State versus Hennings, which I posted on the board. Okay. Folks, you don't pay the speeding ticket, that's a civil infraction. It's a civil offense. It's a non-jailable offense. You cannot be arrested and taken into custody for a civil infraction of driving without a license under 4620.015. What they're doing is they're training the cops to commit second-degree perjury. They're training the cops to commit first-degree forgery by instructing them and giving them negligence, they're committing neg- the, 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 the chief of the Washington State Patrol, the head county sheriff, the, the undersheriff, the chief of police of all the cities are falsely training their police officers to charge people with driving while license suspended or falsely claiming that their privilege was suspended as though the privilege was something separate from the driver's license, which is an impossibility at law, folks. License is synonymous with privilege. The 1973 case, Aberdeen versus Cole, okay, the court held license is synonymous with privilege. Since Gary Cole never had a license, Gary Cole never had a privilege. The state could not suspend what he does not have. In 1984, 
that was reaffirmed by another case called Crossman versus Department of Licensing. And it says, the state has the power to suspend a license or permit to drive. It has no power to suspend a license or permit to drive if the individual does not have a license or permit. The most the state can do to an unlicensed driver is to deny the unlicensed driver the privilege of applying for the license. You know, what a joke, folks, okay, that they play such words games all just to get your money, okay? They're using the jails as an extortion device to get your money, okay? I call it the traffic scam. They're they're scamming the public to get their money. They're oppressing the poor people, and they're actually committing felony crimes. They're training the cops to commit false arrest, false imprisonment, and charging you with crimes that don't even legally apply to you. City of Richland versus Mitchell. A statute violates the prohibition against ex post facto law. See U.S. Constitution, Article 1, Section 10, Clause 1. Constitution, Article 1, Section 23. If it imposes punishment for an act which was not punishable when committed... Okay, folks, you're speeding. Civil infraction. How is it now, today, they're charging you with driving while suspended and you're facing criminal charges of 90 days in jail and a $1,000 fine? You could not have been charged with driving while suspended when you were charged with speeding. On the date you were charged with speeding, you had a current valid driver's license. You were speeding. Big deal. Whoopie fucking do. You got a hundred, dollars $200 speeding ticket. Okay, well, that's too expensive. Okay, 50 bucks speeding ticket. Okay, or $100 speeding ticket. I don't care. Whoopie do. They could not have charged you with driving while suspended on the date that they charged you with speeding. Okay, so how is it when you look up the speeding statute, when it tells you the penalty is X amount of dollars, or even no insurance, you look up the court rules, it says $250. That's the punishment. Period. Civil infractions required by law to be frozen in time. The expo facto laws prohibit them from changing or increasing the punishment at a later date for whatever reason. And, and the judge is putting, well, you didn't pay me my money so I can get ten, twelve, fourteen thousand dollars $14,000 a month for sitting on my ass doing nothing. These judges contribute nothing to society. They're leeches. They're leeches like the 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 super mosquito that sucks the blood from us till we're till we're dry. We got no fucking money. Okay, I'm not going to pay any traffic ticket ever for the rest of my life. I told the judge that in court last week. I'm never going to pay the ticket. And the judge says, "Well, the reason why you're going to be getting you're going to be getting tickets is is to encourage you to get a driver's license." I said, "Leonard, let the record reflect. I'm never going to get a driver's license." And I'm going to tell you right now, the next cops that gives me a driver's license, I'm going to sue him, and I'm going to take his money. I'm going to sue the municipality. And the judge got a smile on his face, and he goes, well, I'm all for making money. Yeah, Your Honor, I can see that. <laughs> but the next cops that pulls me over, folks, I'm going to take his retirement. Okay? The city of Richmond versus Mitchell. That was the last case I read you, folks. This is... This is what uh, they're doing. They're increasing the the fine to take your money. They're lying to you. Okay? Now, I'm going to read you some quotes, folks. Jews may lie to non-Jews. Jews may use lies, subterfuge, to circumvent a Gentile. Talmud, Baba Kama 113a. Jews may swear falsely by the use of subterfuge, or subterfuge wording. Talmud, Shabuth Hag 6b. Jews must always try to deceive Christians. The Talmud, Zohar, 1, 160a. 
who took an oath in the presence of Goys, the robbers and the custom house officers, not responsible. Talmud, Tosafeta, Zebanot, 11. One should and must make false oaths. Okay, the judges don't have a proper oath, folks. One should and must make false oaths. When the Goyim ask if our books contain anything against them, then we are bound to state on oath. There's nothing like that in our books. Talmud, Utzabot, the book of Georgia, 17. <laughs> okay. Well, folks, these people who call themselves Jew today are not Jew. They're fake Jews. Let me read you Revelation 2.9 from the 1599 Geneva Bible. I know thy works in tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Revelation 2.9. Now, Revelation 3.9. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which call themselves Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I say, I will make them that they shall come and worship before thy feet and shall know that I love thee. Revelation 3.9. Okay. Now, let me talk a little bit about common law, folks. I'm going to post some really good sites. You guys are going to love this. You guys send me the email for my uh, anti-sodomy against uh, same-sex marriage email. You will get copies of all these actual sites. But I'll, I'll post the the citations to the cases on the board. This first case, Blanchard versus Golden Age Brewing. Very important case. The legislature may not abolish a common law right without setting up some reasonable substitute. Okay? Those statutes stand unrepealed, unabridged, and unaltered shall be held to declare the law of this state. State versus Williams. I'll grab this and post this on the board. You guys are going to love the case sites I have about common law. Okay? You hear all these common law gurus? They don't know shit about common law. And they've never given you any case sites to show you proof that they know anything about the common law because the truth is they don't know shit about common law. They try to call me the statutory guru. They're full of shit. Like they're common law. Like they're something superior. They know something secret and magical about the common law. Well, really, why did Dean Clifford spend so much time in jail? Well, that's because he was found guilty of all his charges. Dean Clifford loses most all his cases. Okay, this Carl Lentz, he's another goofball. He can't point to any substantive wins. One or two wins, I say whoopee-doo. i got dozens. Okay, State versus Pavlich. Okay, State versus Pavlich says, the court has no authority to abrogate by rule a right guaranteed by the Constitution. State versus Pavlich, 150, Washington, page 411, 273, Pacific Reporter, 182, 1928. Um, this next case, let me read the site first, and I'll post it on the board. You guys are going to love my common law sites. Substantive common law rights prescribe norms for societal conduct and punishments for violations thereof. It thus creates, defines, and regulates primary rights. In contrast, practice and procedure pertain to the essentially mechanical operations of the courts by which substantive law, rights, and remedies are effectuated. It's a case called State versus Smith, and I'm going to post this on the board. Okay. You guys are going to learn more from reading these sites that I'm giving you right now on the common law than you will ever learn from the goofballs like Dean Clifford and this Carl Lentz bozo, okay? Uh, see, Cook, Substance and Procedure in the Conflict of Law, 1933, 42 Yale Law Review, 33. Uh, you can find this, number one, Sutherland Statutory Construction, 3rd edition, page 539, section 2050. Effect of repeal of statutes upon remedies. Okay? 
you guys are going to love this stuff when you go to the library. Okay? You'll be the new common law guru that will be able to tell Carl Lance and Dean Clifford to shut the fuck up because they don't know what they're talking about. Statute law, as adopted by the legislature, prevails over a restatement thereof in the code. Okay? We're talking about the original session laws, folks, which is the Territorial Code of 1881. That's the session law passed by the people when they were electors prior to statehood. The people today that, that you think today aren't people. They're persons under the law. They're corporations, okay? They disenfranchised you folks, okay? You folks are all the... All these sovereign citizens are, are fucking slaves, okay? All of them. Okay? They don't know shit about law. They're slaves with a big mouth. They don't know shit about law. That's why they lose all their cases. State XREL, et cetera, versus Mercer Island. 58 Washington, second page, 141, 144, April 20, 1961. That's the one that says statutes passed by the legislature prevail over the restatement thereof in the code. Okay? Here's another good case. Territorial laws. Given force of state law upon adoption of Constitution, Article 27, Section 2, and codified in the Hills Penal Code, Section 28. Folks, Washington State was originally part of Oregon Country. Oregon Country split off into Oregon Territory into Washington Territory. Okay? So territorial laws, upon statehood, the territorial law became the law of the state. You want to know why? because they flipped us back into a territorial status, and then they just codified territorial codes of 1881, and they made them a statute. The Statute of 13 Elizabeth, which we have adopted, is said to be the declaratory of the common law, which is enforced, as we understand it, in the state of Washington by virtue of the code. Wagner versus Law. 3 Washington, page 500, 502, 503, January 13, 1892. Tonight, folks, just right here. I'm going to be giving you more case sites on the common law than you've seen from all the so-called common law gurus that claim that Lewis doing statutory. These case sites that I'm giving you, you've never even heard before because these common law gurus don't know shit about common law. The statute of 13 Elizabeth, Chapter 5, which is a part of the common law of this state. Wagner is citing Wagner versus Law again, but this is cited by Bates versus Drake. Okay? If you want to learn common law, folks, read these cases. These are um, some of the best cases there are in Washington State for the common law. Hence, the common law, as adopted by our legislature in 1863, insofar as the same was not incompatible with our conditions, including the statute law of England, as it existed at the date of the Declaration of Independence, became the common law of the late territory of Washington. And by virtue of the Constitution, the law of this state, and still continues to be the law, except as it has been modified by legislative enactment, citing Wagner versus Law. Again, this is Richards versus Redelsheimer. Now, I'm posting that on the board. Folks, you cannot go to any talk show, you can't go to any blog talk radio and learn more about law from any other speaker who can give you substance to what he's talking about. I give you the court rules, the statutes, and the case law to back up everything I say. Okay, The goofballs just run at the mouth, run at the mouth. They need to just shut their fucking mouths. 
okay? They don't know shit. It is held, however, that the rule as it existed in England at the date of the Declaration of Independence became a part of the common law of the state. Compton versus Evans, 200 Washington, page 125 at 128, August 11, 1939. Okay? Look these cases up, folks. These are the best cases in Washington State for the common law. The common law, so far as it is not inconsistent with the Constitution and the laws of the United States or the state of Washington, nor incompatible with the institutions and conditions of society in the state, shall be the rule of decision in all courts of this state. Construing this statute, we have held that the term, quote, common law, as therein used, includes not only the unwritten law of England as it is administered by its courts, but also the general statutes of that commonwealth modifying it and interpreting the unwritten laws which were enacted prior to and enforced at the time of our Declaration of Independence, citing Wagner versus Law and Bates versus Drake and Richards, Richards, Richards versus uh, getting tongue twisted Richards versus Reddlesheimer. This case that I just read you is Garrett versus Byerly, um, also 1939, 155 Washington Reporter, um, page 351 at 353 to 354. Um, I'll post this on the board. Um, folks, tonight, just here, reading the case sites on common law, okay, for Washington. The show is on. Benton versus John Cox. The legislature of the territory of Washington in the year 1863, laws of 1863, page 88, enacted that, quote, the common law of England, so far as it is not repugnant to or inconsistent with the Constitution and the laws of the United States, an organic act and the laws of this Washington territory, shall be the rule of decision in all courts of this territory. The language of this provision was changed by the state legislature in 1891 by omitting the words of England, substituting the word state for territory, and inserting the clause nor incompatible with the institutions and conditions of society in this state, Code Procedure Section 108, but the meaning remains substantially the same. It thus appears that the common law must be our rule of decision unless this case falls within the exceptions specified in the statute. Benton versus John Cox, okay? 17 Washington Reporter, page 277, 280 to 281, July 2nd, 1897. Folks, the only way you're going to win in this court system, okay, is to use their statutes, their court rules, and their case law, and their case law interpreting the common law. Every single state has a statute similar to RCW 4.04.010. That is our state's preservation of the common law. These are courts, are creatures of statute created by the legislature. They are facted law administrative agencies. The judges are nothing more than ministerial law clerks. Okay, they're administrative law clerks is what they are. Okay, they're quasi-executive and quasi-judicial but they are certainly not judicial, okay? Uh, volume up, okay? Well, I should be talking loud enough. Maybe I got just too far away from the phone. I got my uh, uh, speaker phone on. I'll put it a little closer to me, okay? In Ray Hudson, the common law prevails in this state so far as it is not inconsistent with the Constitution and the laws of the state, nor incompatible with the institutions and conditions of society. Ram Rev Stat, Section 143, Persis Perpetual Code, Section 8252, CF Laws of 1863, Page 88, Section 1, the Code of 1881, Section 1, the Laws of 1891, Page 31, 
Section 1. 2. Hill's Code, Section 108. The common law of England, including the English statutes in force at the time of the Declaration of Independence as adopted by the Territorial Law of 1863, continues to be the law of this state except so far as modified by statute. See Bates v. Drake, Garrett v. Byerly, Compton v. Evans. This is In Ray Hudson, folks. In Ray Hudson is a family rights case that says the father knows better for what's better for his sons than the judge of a court. That's right, folks. Back in 1942, we still had honest judges that said, the father, me, I know what's better for my children than that fucking cocksucker on a bench in the black robes, okay? <laughs> okay, um, especially if he's a homo. Sorry, folks, the cussing and swearing, but these people piss me off, okay? And they, they deserve to be cussed at. They do not deserve respect. To me, in my book, respect has to be earned. And most of the judges that are sitting on the bench today have not earned respect. Most of them were the scum, the ilk, prosecutors that got appointed. A crooked judge retired early. They conspired and met together and said, we've got to keep all our crooked judges in here, so you've got to retire early so we can get this crooked prosecutor to help be one of our crooked judges. Instead of letting the people vote for their choice, the people are being deprived of the vote of their choice. And then... When the crooked judge runs for re-election, he gets to win automatically because he's the incumbent. That's the scam how they keep crooked judges on the bench. They should make it a requirement that any judge who retires early gets a 25% pension re reduction. That'll, that'll encourage them to stay on the bench until and give the people a chance to vote. Okay, next case. The common law incorporated by RCW 4.04.010 includes the English statutes in force at the date at the Declaration of Independence. That's Cooper versus Reynolds. Folks, you want to learn common law? You're going to read these cases. Tonight, I've just given you more cases on common law than you've heard for the last two, three years of bullshit from Dean Clifford and Carl Lentz and Rod Class and Carl Weston and all the other goofballs like uh, Charles Bruce Stewart who claims they know common law when they don't know shit about common law. Okay. The state is committed to that doctrine, Blanchard versus Golden Age Brewing, okay? Oh, here's a couple more good cases. Um, we're kicking butt here on the common law, folks, okay? Lewis Ewing just showing you tonight more about the common law than you heard from any of the so-called common law gurus ever. It is a fundamental principle in statutory construction that if the legislature uses a term well known to the common law, and that word is not defined in the statute, then it is presumed that the legislature intended the term to mean what it meant at common law. Okay? When I make an argument, folks, I cite court rules, statutes, and case law in support of it. I don't baffle you with my bullshit like Carl Lentz and Dean Clifford and Rod Class and Carl Weston. Those guys are fucking goofballs. Now, here's another great case, folks. You're going to love this one. State XREL National Bank of Commerce of Seattle versus Fratter. I'm going to read this on the board, put this on the board. And uh, let me read you what, this, what the site actually says. The legislative repeal of a statute, which is merely declaratory of the common law, in the absence of a new statute stating some other rule, leaves the common law in effect. Oh, what that means is when they repealed the sodomy statute and they didn't pass a new statute prohibiting somebody, prohibiting somebody, that leaves the common law in effect. In one Sutherland statutory construction, third edition, page 525, section 2043, 
the rule is stated as follows. However, a right of common law nature, which is further embedded in statutory terms, exists as an enforceable right, exclusive of the statute declaratory of it. And therefore, the right is not expunged by the repeal of the statute. Holy shit. Let me read that again, folks. However, a right of common law nature, which is further embedded in statutory terms. We're talking about the sodomy statute. You can't fuck somebody in the ass. That's uh, disgusting. In statutory terms, exist as an enforceable right exclusive of the statute declaratory of it. And therefore, the right is not expunged by the repeal of the statute. The legislative repeal of a statute which is merely declaratory of the common law in the absence of a new statute stating some other rule leaves the common law in effect. Okay, folks. You want to see what the common law is? Okay. Wikipedia. You ever heard the term when you you older folks? You little bugger. You little bugger. You little bugger. You want to know what little bugger means? Okay. I'm going to post a link on the board. You guys are going to laugh your ass off. Okay, there's the Wikipedia, the Buggery Act of 1533. The Felons and Murders Act of 1514 contains the original buggery statute at 25 Henry, VIII, Clause 6. Clearly holds that Queen Elizabeth made the buggery statute perpetual by the statute of 5 Elizabeth, which reads, 25 Henry, VIII, 1533-34, Clause 6, an act for the punishment of the vice of buggery, sodomy, a felony without benefit of clergy. The act is only valid until the end of the next parliament. CF 28 Henry VII, Clause 1 and 32 Henry VIII, Clause 3 Henry VIII, Clause 6, was repealed by the provision in 1 March State 1, Clause 1, Section 3. It was revived in the form in which it held good at the reign of Henry VIII and made perpetual by 5 Elizabeth, Clause 17. That's right, folks. The crime of buggery, sodomy, is perpetual. Perpetual, that means it's going to last forever. Okay? So we go back to State XRL National Bank of Commerce versus Seattle, which very clearly states, the legislative repeal of a statute which is merely declaratory of the common law in the absence of a new statute stating some other rule leaves the common law in effect. In one Sutherland Statutory Construction, 3rd edition, page 25, Section 2043, the rule is stated as follows. However, a right of common law nature, which is further embedded in statutory terms, exists as an enforceable right exclusive of the statute, declaratory of it, and therefore the right is not expunged by the repeal of the statute. Okay? Well, anyway, folks, I've gone over my time today by at least half an hour. Um, so I'm going to call it good for tonight. Um I'm going to post some of my information on the board, but I think you get the basic idea that all traffic tickets are a bill of attainder. Um, I'll post my emails um, on the board again. For those of you folks who don't know this, I make my living undercutting attorneys. Okay. Um, well, the show is recording, so somebody says they can't listen in a computer. Um, the show is recorded, so you'll be able to download this and, and listen to it later. But folks, I do make my living undercutting attorneys, and I specialize in helping people with tax problems. So if you've been charged with uh, income tax evasion, uh, we'll prefer you to file tax returns. Um, I also work on large drug busts with Kurt Riggin. Kurt Riggin and I work on that together, but the tax stuff, Lloyd and I work together. 
Um, we also do uh, weapons violations charges. Um, pretty much uh, anything of the criminal nature, uh, drug possession, you know, trafficking of cocaine, methamphetamines, if you've been caught growing 50, 100, whatever marijuana plants, um, that's the kind of stuff we do. Uh, resisting arrest charges, obstructing, driving while suspended, driving on license, we beat that stuff too. Um, little stuff, speeding tickets, yeah, uh, you know, no insurance tickets. I, I put free flyers up on my um, my website. You can download the free flyers at my website. And for those of you fighting CPS, I do have a bunch of fight CPS flyers um, on my website. Um, I'll post the websites again here in a, in a second. Um, let me get, uh, oh, yeah, Matt from Michigan. Um, next week, um, probably going to have Matt from Michigan and Kurt come on and Lloyd come on and let them speak some of the time. And at the end of the shows, um, I'm going to start doing it the last 15, 20 minutes. If people want to ask questions, uh, we're going to start doing that next week. I just wanted to get the first couple shows out, pumping out a bunch of case laws so that people can, you know, hear that, um, you know, Lewis is giving out the information freely. Folks, I'm not going to give you my free briefs. You want to hire me to write your briefs, I'll write the briefs for you. But uh, tonight I just read you um, cases out of actual briefs that I've used in court to win cases. So if you have any brief writing skills, um, you could actually write winning briefs out of the arguments that I've just given you and with the cases that I've given you. Um, it shouldn't It shouldn't be that hard. Um, for those who know anything about legal writing. My other show talks about CPS. Um, the, it's called cpsexposed.com. Um, I'll post the info on the board uh, so that you guys can go check that out. I do that on Friday nights. And this show, Pro State Winners, on uh, Friday nights. Um, but there's the, the call in. The, the caller ID is 137772. Okay, or you can just click on that link there for the show. Um, that I do on Friday nights. Um, oh, let me post a link for my free flyers, fight CPS flyers, but also the same link has, um, you can find all my traffic flyers, right to travel flyers, stop arrest flyers. It shows the cops cannot legally arrest and take you into custody if you're driving while suspended. You know, or my arrest me and free me flyer that basically when you ask the cop I'm under arrest and he'll say, no, you're being detained. Well, this flyer... This flyer shows the dictionary definition that says the word detained is used to define the word arrest and tells the cops to stop screwing around with you and stop playing games. Um, no insurance required flyer, fight CPS flyers, right to travel flyer, no Nazi checkpoint flyers. The cops can't stand, have checkpoints on the highway to check for licenses. I also have the no random license plate check flyer showing the cops cannot conduct a, a license plate check and use that as probable cause to pull you over. Uh, one of the more recent broadcasts I've been on cable TV with Will Wilson is called SeattleCommunityMedia.org. I just posted that link on the board. And uh, anyway, folks, I'm going to um, post my phone numbers on the board, and um, I'm calling it a night, folks. So uh, good night tonight. Uh, I'll post a few more things after I shut off here, but I am shutting off. So good night, folks, and we will talk to you later. Bye. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.